can't wait to see this shit we got. Can we open our motherfucking presents now? Of course. Go ahead, kids. Let's see what Santa got you. Fuck. This is Horophilia Jason, and welcome to the Christmas 2019 VOD streaming Bloody Bit Special. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. And if you're not familiar with the show format, what uh, this is, Bloody Bits is recently at least, is a collection of reviews from different podcasters. It's different horror films that are now currently streaming on VOD and streaming services. And if you're listening to this on Christmas Day, Merry Christmas. If it's after Christmas, Merry Belated Christmas. I'm not sure when I'm going to have this out, but could potentially be a day or two late. But uh, I hope you had a great Christmas. I hope you got uh, got to spend time with the fam, watch some cool Christmas horror films. Maybe you got uh, a cool present or two, maybe, hopefully. The only thing I got myself, I did get uh, some Jabra 75T wireless buds. If you're in the market for uh, earbuds, man, I, these are... These are kick-ass, a huge thumbs up here. I think they're much better quality than even the newest uh, Apple iPods, uh, in my opinion here. But uh, yeah, I highly recommend it for that. And so to get into the show today, uh, we got a bunch of podcasters and a bunch of first-timers here. So you're going to hear a lot of familiar people if you're a regular listener, but you're also going to hear a bunch of first-timers. So let me go over who is going to be on the show today. We have, starting off, we got Tom and Joe from the DWN's The Horror Crap Podcast. They're regulars, also Neil and Suzanne from NFW. Okay, a first-timer here, Heather Powell. Well, she's uh, currently a host on NFW, and also It's Not Horror, okay? Uh, she's doing a solo review. Uh, you have Jerry and Mike from the No More Room in Hell and Fresh Cuts Podcast. We got Moods and Derek. Uh, they're long timers there. They're they're pretty much a regular on this podcast now. And Moods, of course, is from the Twenty Two Shots of Moods and Horror podcast. And Derek is from Cinema Attack. We have another appearance by Christian Luciani from the Exploding Heads Horror podcast and TGIF. And he actually has a special guest host with him on this show, uh, Justin D. 
And then we have Don and Nelly from the Horror Mafia podcast. Mr. Watson, he makes appearance. He's from the Horror Corridor. And of course, the Watsy Horror Party Show. And Mr. Philip Perrin from Dark Discussions. He's going to review two different films. Also have two films I'm going to review. And last but not least, they're not strangers to the network, but we do have first-time Bloody Bits podcasters, Brandon Young and Alan Scott. They're from the Anatomy of Fear podcast, which I highly recommend that. You should check them out, but they do a review. And Brandon, he's uh, basically a third host on Fresh Cuts of Mike and Venom. He's already in the Horophilia family, just the first time on Bloody Bits. Also, we got first-timers Scott Crawford and Tim, which they're formerly of the podcast by the Cemetery. Uh, and I know Scott himself, he's a bit guest-hosted on several Horophilia podcasts. I know he's on a Cut to the Chase, and he's appeared regularly on It's Not Horror, okay? And I know Scott has some other things that are in the pipe of, from what I heard here. So after skipping out the last episode, I'm also going to appear on this. I have not one, but two reviews. Uh, this one, I did take it easy on the production. I didn't put a lot of clips. I uh, just have a bunch of fun Christmas music planned. We got some pop punk, some ska. There's a parody song. And we have some really cool metalcore instrumentals. If you heard the instrumental at the beginning. And I will play a few more throughout the podcast. That is actually by a band called August Burns Red. They made an instrumental Christmas album, and as you can tell, it's kick-ass. So. And as far as the films are going to be reviewed today, if any of the films sound cool to you, I will have links in the show notes you can click on, and it'll lead you to where you can rent these films. Uh, some are free, some are a small charge, but if it sounds cool, I'm sure it's worth the money. Also, the any music you hear, uh, I will have links on that also in the show notes. Now, for this episode, I did not get to watch any of the films, with the exception of one of them that's going to be reviewed, besides my two re reviews, of course. But uh, all the rest of the films I didn't see, so I have no idea what these films are about. I actually didn't get a chance to listen to any of the reviews either. I did hear a few snips, uh, snippets and pieces and made sure the levels were right, but uh, other than that, I have no idea what they're going to say about any of these films, so hopefully it's not a bunch of shitty films, hopefully, uh, I know a few are going to be, don't get me wrong, some no-name indie horror films, so I know some of these are going to be pretty shitty, but hopefully we've got some hidden gems in here, and we'll go ahead and start it off here, so I randomly chose the order that this is going to go in, no specific re rhyme or reason, I did it more based on how long the reviews are than anything <laughs> but here we go we're going to start off with the podcast with a film review of the dwelling i think it might have another name to it i'm not sure they may talk about it here but it is scott and tim once again formerly from the podcast by the cemetery take it away fellas thanks jason lloyd yeah thanks jason I don't know if Tim really is thanking you happily what? or not, but what? we shall see. Um, so we were given the opportunity to join uh, Jason on this podcast tonight to talk about a movie called The Dwelling, which apparently was also known as The Bed of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> that the, I was trying to figure out what the word dwelling had to do with anything that was happening there, but Bed of the Dead. Yeah. Sums it up a little better. Yeah, the bed of the dead actually makes a lot more sense. The dwelling, like, it, there's no reason for it to be called that. Yeah. But uh, now, 
What what was the name of the company that did this again? Uh, this was Uncorked Entertainment, which when I when I seen that name pop up, I was like, yep, we got about a seventy five percent shot that this could be shit, or this could be you know pretty decent. Yeah, um, strange movie. Uh, lots lots of uh, slow motion in the beginning, and then a lot of flashbacks throughout the whole thing. Yeah, flashbacks upon flashbacks. Yeah, like a flashback in a flashback, which is like double flashback status. Yeah, it's really weird how this story was structured. Well, I guess before we really jump into it, I should read the synopsis. Yeah, there you go. Ooh. That probably sounds wonderful. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah love that sound. But uh, yeah, apparently this movie, uh, the synopsis I'm taking right from IMDb, uh, is 420-somethings find themselves stuck on a haunted antique bed where leaving means suffering a gruesome death. Plagued with frightening hallucinations, they must figure out the bed's secrets before they are ultimately picked off one by one. Yeah, Which there you go. Pretty much sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> except uh, there's also the main character, which is the detective. Which yeah, they don't even mention him. Like the it's it's weird. There's like two timelines going at once, kind of. I think. Yeah. And but then uh, like a future timeline and a and like the past timeline by just a few hours. Yeah, like it and the yeah, it's weird. Um, the there's a couple tropes that that had me laughing like right out of the beginning like as soon as they introduced the detective I was like oh, oh somebody's gonna have a drinking and a pill problem and sure enough he yeah. had both like Pulled right the off the bat <laughs> yeah I'm like then, damn oh he's gonna have some dark history about how like he lost someone during a certain case or something, something like this yeah sure and enough, sure enough there was something out. similar with that it's like huh, well whatever um like, his story act- definitely had some moments where you're just going I see where this is going it's very predictable but then there's also points where I'm going well what <laughs> <laughs> yeah like uh how how did yeah it's got its moments um <laughs> the, i'll say like yeah the uh one thing i noticed is they kind of were trying to shove modern day uh social commentary like not just one thing but like three different things like two different things well yeah yeah three different uh like modern day like social commentaries like a brief mention of a school shooting and a flashing of that and uh, a race uh, basically like the racist cop shooting an innocent black kid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, what was the other one oh, uh, having to do with a p- parent passing away due to cancer and like you know cancer is like you know something that's happening a lot right now so it's well yeah yeah but it's just like wow you're, it's like they shoved all these in within like yeah. 45 minutes of each other there was a ridiculous amount of exposition of like hey here's my story oh yeah well now it's my turn for me to tell my story and then like the next like the characters kind of round robined through telling stories and pretty much after they told the story you're like well it's your turn to die now yeah it's, it's <laughs> like oh well, we see what the you're gonna start seeing on this bed now yeah it, it became predictable by like the second killing you're like well the third next person to tell their stories did and yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that, like and like that is probably like the one saving grace of this was the kills. Yeah, yeah I was know. very impressed with the special effects in this. Pretty good. Uh, in a low budget film, it was really yeah. good. Uh, lots of decent practical gore. You know, they didn't do any CGI blood or anything like that. Goodly amounts of fake blood and such. It was. Yep, I'll say it had more of like that watery brown blood red mix. Yep. which is you know. I see a lot more in like a lot of the independent horror yeah, films. It's Flint water. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but yeah, that I would say like that was probably the highlight of these movies were or this movie was the kills because yeah, yeah, there were some that I was just like actually kind of cringing towards a little yeah. bit. The uh, yeah, that's it was it was they did a good job with that. Um, the acting as a whole wasn't 
awesome, but it wasn't bad either. The the cop and the the one girl who was the last girl were probably the two most actable actors in there. They they did an okay job. Yeah, like even the cop though, like uh, he had some like yeah. like especially when they're on the phone together and talking, like it was just like, hey, pretend you're talking to someone on the other end and just yeah, <laughs> you could totally tell that's what they were doing, and it oh, just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it looked pretty rough, but yeah, the acting was. Yeah, nothing special, but at the same time, not terrible. Here, here's a honestly though. I mean, for a movie that advertised itself as taking place in a sex club and all this kind of stuff, yeah. there was one pair of boobs, and they were just some random character who I'm assuming was just like somebody's girlfriend who wanted to show her tits, and they just had her like walking down the hall for like a completely useless scene that had absolutely nothing to do with the movie. And yeah. I'm cool with nudity that has nothing to do with the movie, but man, those main characters actually were pretty cute. No, that wouldn't have hurt either. But hey, right, it's yeah, me. it's like but, uh, it's just me being a dick. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not arguing with you there, but yeah, like for being in a sex club, like at first when I read it, I thought it I was I thought it was a strip club, so I was like, okay, yeah, this is gonna be like cheesy and uh, like probably have like pointless nudity, which you know, sure, you know, in horror films, pointless nudity is fun. Yeah, and then we get this, and it's like it's a sex club, but yet there's. No reason it really had to be yeah. in a sex club. They, they could have taken that setting to anywhere. It, the The bed was a bed. You could have put that bed in like a bed and breakfast. You could have put that bed in like a, a, a nice hotel. Yeah, the there sex was literally was no weird. reason for it. Yeah, it was just weird. Yeah, because like even the character was saying like, you could have just got a hotel for the price you paid for this. It's like, yeah, you could have even been in a hotel, like a fancy suite of a hotel room. And, and like the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, this, this this is not like a real kind of place. Like there's not hanging out up by Ontario like a fucking sex club that you can go to where just people are randomly walking around the hallways with their dinglings flopping around. Right. It, it doesn't happen. I mean, if it does, it doesn't happen in a big giant publicly advertised club that the cops refer to as the Anarchy Sex Club when they are talking about it. Right. <laughs> I'm like what? Yeah, this was just it, that was silly and completely pointless to even be there. Like. One thing I will say is, uh, you were mentioning it too, was the uh, set design, especially in that room specifically. Yeah, it was with a cool like, room. With all the cool furniture and like the yeah. bed itself looked really sweet. The I'd rest, love to have that bed. The rest of the sets were all just like brick walls, like featureless brick rooms. And then all of a sudden, this one room is, is cool. Wherever the hell they actually shot that one room at was neat. Yeah, because it was like a blue room with like different color lighting in it yeah it had hardwood floors and like victorian like shit just kind of hanging out all over it was pretty yeah it was like a really nice setting like and the bed wasn't scary looking at least i didn't think it was no i didn't think it was scary at all and i mean they made it have like creaky evil noises and 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 weird chittering children talking underneath the bed and then the fact that it would you know like fuck you up (laughs) right but yeah the, the kills were nice and i you know i don't know if you guys know me but i'm not the biggest horror movie buff or fan even really but Found this movie entertaining. Yeah, I it was you know it's I definitely wouldn't say like it's anything mind blowing for the year, but yeah, for like we for the luck of the draw and a movie we really had no idea of what we were gonna get. No idea what we were getting. It, I, I gotta say we lucked out on this for the most part. Like it's entertaining enough. It's the story though is confusing as shit and doesn't and it's like yeah. overly complicated, which it really didn't need to be. Yeah, there's a, there's a, like yeah. Yeah, exactly. It lots of unnecessary backstory and exposition and and dialogue and yeah, and then the whole. Uh, I know we're kind of just bouncing all over the place with this, but <laughs> uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up too was just like the fact that the cop 
knew all of a sudden the history of the bed and like how to yeah couple get away from it type deal and like it's like okay there it should have been something like even more exposition would have been nice to like explain how i figured that part out but between that and then the one flashback where the one person who was having the flashback was seeing things or had seen things that were not that she wasn't there for yeah. It's like, how are you having a flashback that you're not in? <laughs> yeah, which that, like, when you brought that up, too, it reminded me of uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, because oh, the main happened. character is talking about, like, everything that happened in Silent Night, Deadly Night 1, but he wasn't around <laughs> when the kill- killer was going around. Yep. But, yeah, like... As a showcase uh, for special effects talent, though, this was a pretty good movie. Yeah, it really wasn't too bad. Um, I should look up the director, but I was trying to think... Um, yeah, the music wasn't anything special. Um, it did try to lend itself to try giving into pointless jump scares sometimes. Yeah, yeah, the music was suspenseful sounding like synth noises and bass effects and stuff, and it was it was trying to build tension. It wasn't like musical really. No, and like it had a like the sound design in general though, like with the creepy voices and stuff that worked pretty good, made for like some creepy elements and. Yeah, I will say that there were some pretty creepy moments in this altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, like not not the whole movie was not like that. It kind of dropped the ball, especially towards the end, in my <laughs> eyes. But behind you, ah, uh, yeah, I looked up the director, and the director was Jeff Mayer, M A H E R. It looks like he did Antisocial 2 and Letter Out is what he's known for. Hmm. Uh, I don't know either of those movies, but I see for uh, this type of film, like, yeah, he's pretty decent directing. I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah. But all in all, Jason, yeah, thank you for the movie. It was definitely not as bad as I was expecting it to be. Yep, I, I don't hate you. You're a nice guy. <laughs> yeah it's definitely like, it's worth a watch uh i believe it came out in the november 25th november 26th something like that it's on vod but it's called the dwelling and yeah give it a shot uh but before we let uh send you back to jason uh give us we figure we give our plugs here uh tim and i will be hosting the movie closet coming up soon in 2020 where we'll be reviewing uh, multiple genres of films, not just horror films, will be covering everything. And then uh, Heather Powell and I uh, will be doing a podcast called The Friday Nightmares. Uh, and that'll be coming out sometime in January 2020. Yep, sounds like a bunch of fun. We'll we'll be hopefully hearing, or hopefully some of you guys will, you know, check us out if you thought we weren't completely weird. Right. I'll say we're, we're a bit rusty, but we're, you know, trying to get back into things. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks again, Jason Lloyd, and uh, back to you. All right, thank you, sir, for that review. Hopefully, I didn't give you a shitty film, but I have a feeling this one in particular, it didn't sound very appealing to me. <laughs> so hopefully it wasn't as bad as what it sounded here. But thank you, uh, guys, for participating. I hope you uh, participate in the future. All right, and make sure you check out their upcoming podcast. All right, so now moving on to the next review. It is going to be a film called Portal. And the podcasters tackling this one are Jerry Cortez and Mike Merriman. Once again, from the No More Room in Hell podcast and Fresh Cuts. Go ahead. Take it away, guys.
Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? It's Mike and Mr. Venom of Normal Room and Hell, Fresh Cuts, as well as many other shows on the Horror Failure Network and elsewhere. We're here for the Christmas special for Bloody Bits, or Bloody Bits Christmas special, whichever way you prefer to say it. How are you doing, Venom? Damn good. Greetings and salutations, Bloody Bit fans. Yes, we are here once again by the good graces of Jason Lloyd, here to discuss yet another VOD film. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting one. Let's say that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I sabotaged just on this one because I I almost picked this specifically because of a certain actress known in the horror genre. That's Sometimes when we when we get the uh, itinerary list of the movies, I don't always know anything about them. So it's like I look for something to catch my eye, whether it's like the title or sometimes Jason will like put briefly like who's in it. And, you know, usually by the time I get to it, it's about like anywhere from 25 percent to 50 percent taken already. So I'm kind of looking at what's left over. So I was eyeing the list and uh, Heather Langenkamp's name was next to this movie and i was like okay like i know that doesn't necessarily mean oh it's going to be great because she happens to be in it but you know it's a name i do recognize so i was like hey it'd be just kind of interesting to see like what she's up to and what she kind of got involved in and what she got involved in was a movie called portal uh it's an hour and 15 minute little small indie movie which is common for the bloody bits vod specials so i will read the synopsis so we can get into it when an ambitious ghost hunter performs a risky ritual opening a portal to the other side he and his team quickly find themselves way in over their heads in a fight for survival against an ancient demonic force that about sums it up i mean this, I, I venom you know tell me if i'm wrong here but this is the kind of movie you know you've seen a hundred times before they kind of start out as like what ghost chasers or haunt chasers somewhat uh yeah yeah exactly it starts out a lot like grave encounters or you know any of those ghost hunting uh movies that have come out in the past but uh it it definitely takes a little bit of a turn probably Mm -hmm. uh about halfway through once a certain uh thing occurs and uh i don't know how deeply we're going to get into it today but the synopsis oh well actually it's not much of a spoiler the synopsis actually uh, it says it, it performs a risky ritual. So, yeah. Yeah, there. which uh, leads to the title of the movie. So, there you exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Weird title of the movie, too, for a horror film. For, I mean, for a movie solidly in horror, Portal. I don't know. It sounds more sci fi to me. But. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if you have the IMDb page. But like the, I do. the box, the box art, it's like, is that a demon? Is that a tree growing out of the portal? Like, <laughs> <It's what>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's like you almost have to like really focus in on it to see what the hell it actually is. And then yeah. once you, you know, once you catch it, you're like, okay, I, I see what's on there. But at first, the first time looking at, it, I was like, uh, is this like a demon tree or something? <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I also don't like the fact that they. See, I, I've already stopped watching trailers, and now I'm starting to think I might just stop reading IMDb synopsis at this point, too, because I don't like that they even mention Demonic Force in this one, because the first, like I said, at least half of the movie, it's solidly ghost hunters going to houses, trying to do investigations, and then even once they get to our 
um, house, you know, the main house in this one, which is called, what was it? The, uh, the Dalva house. Uh-huh. Once they actually get there, it feels, um, it still feels like they're dealing with ghosts. And then you get the reveal later on after the quote unquote ritual that it's not a ghost. And I feel like they're doing a disservice with the synopsis. Let people think it's a ghost. Cause that's what I thought. Like luckily I didn't read the synopsis going in. All I knew was what, you know, I didn't even read the synopsis that Jason Lloyd always sends us with the movies. I tend to ignore those as well. I just want to go in as fresh as possible. So yeah, not happy with this synopsis on IMDb, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more like a summary. In this yeah, case. exactly. It's like a treatment for the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. So overall, I mean, what do you, what did you kind of think of the movie? I mean, you know, for a very low budget indie, you know, horror film, I didn't think it was terrible. I mean, it's not a bad movie. Um, it's very basic. I mean, we've seen it all before a group of, you know, a group of, uh, internet, uh, or YouTubers, if you will, are, you know, investigating ghosts, uh, or haunted locations that is, but unlike a lot of the other, um, ghost hunter groups they're not willing to like add fake jump scares to their stuff they're legitimately mm-hmm. trying to find they, they they make it a main point in this one that no we're not going to fake anything like the other shows do we're not going to add ambiance and stupid crap like that we want to find actual you know uh, uh spirit activity so um, so, of course, because of that, they, they're not a very successful ghost hunting group. Um, they've got enough funding for one season of, of their current show, which is about to record their final episode of that season. And uh, basically, they, uh, they hook up with one of the uh, – with, with an investigator from a competitive group um, and work out a deal with him, which I did not like that scene at all. I just – I. Did you think, I don't know how, I don't think this will be too spoilery because it happens pretty early in the film, but did did you think that the informant guy like purposely knew that they were going to take that file, even though he told them not to? I mean, because who does that? Who just says, grab my laptop and take the file that you want without actually watching them? Mm-hmm. I thought that was an I thought that was an odd choice. So either one of two things, either the informant was purposely trying to get rid of these guys by sending them to an actual haunted location that could be dangerous or he's an idiot. So take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so after their little encounter, of course, they find uh, information on the Dalva house, which is a, a, a local house where a triple murder, well, a double murder with a suicide occurred um, not too long ago. I think they said like 70s or 80s, maybe, potentially. Because, um, well, I, I won't say that. That's actually a spoiler. But um, so overall, like I said, the movie's not bad. It's just real basic. Um, for the first half of the movie, I thought, well, this is about as average as average can get. Average writing, average cinematography, a- average performances. Um, unfortunately, um, the movie actually takes a little bit of a downturn when Heather Langenkamp shows up. And I don't know if it's necessarily her acting or if it, if it was the lines that were written for her. But man, her, her dialogue was kind of cringy. At times, thankfully, she's not in a lot of the movie. I think she's probably only in like the third act. But man, it's like you're excited to see, you know, a familiar scream queen, you know, and 
And then that excitement goes away as soon as she starts talking. And it's like, oh, what happened here? <laughs> yeah, kind of like the fun of seeing her shows up wears off really oh, quick. Very, it, very quickly, yeah. Basically, she's Heather Lame in the camp. <laughs> in the <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I don't want to necessarily blame her just in case maybe, you know, it potentially was the writer or director. Because ultimately, performances are equal parts actor and director, honestly. You know, I mean, the director is the one who's trying to get these performances out of his actors. And if he's happy with the performance that they give, but it, it turns out to be like a lackluster performance, then, yeah, that's definitely more on the director. But I'm still going to hold a little bit over Heather Langenkamp's head for this one because, I mean, obviously she had to have read the script beforehand. So, I mean, this was... I mean, who knows if this was just a paycheck for her or if she owed someone a favor or what. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, she's only in it for the third act and her performance is at best uninspired. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, this is definitely a movie that when you first, you know, anyone that first starts it up, it's going to be a quote unquote stop me if you've seen this before kind of experience because you you know the setup pretty much. I mean, you know what to expect through a lot of the movie. Like, and I think like you mentioned, like I'll give it a little credit because it doesn't strictly stay where, you know, what 75% of these kind of movies would stay. They do, you know, explore a little more. I mean, obviously I read the synopsis, so you should already know, (laughs) you should already know somewhat that it, it takes a little bit of a turn off the just normal kind of like ghost chasing haunt movies. Mm -hmm. So there's a little more to it. Um, it's definitely, you know, a little ambitious for this small of a movie, which, you know, some people that'll help, some people that'll hurt, some people there's a little bit of both in there. Uh, IMDb currently has it like a 3.7, so yeah, not real good. Um, I'm probably going to be a little bit more forgiving than IMDb because I am both a fan of, um, you know, ghost hunting type movies. I love Grave mm-hmm. Encounters and movies like that. and. Oh, yeah. And also Demonic Possession, which is probably, you know, Demonic Possession slash Supernatural is my favorite subgenre of horror. So I'm probably going to be a little bit more forgiving because even though this movie's not great, I was still moderately um, in- intrigued, you know, throughout, mm-hmm. obviously, because, you know, you're watching a horror movie. So, you know, eventually they're going to get to a location that's actually haunted. Um, but uh yeah, like I said, um, I think most people in the uh, most people in our community probably aren't gonna like it as much as even I did. Um, the 3.7 on IMDb is pretty telling. I couldn't honestly give it a, a much higher score if I had to rate it, but uh, for whatever it's worth, I mean, it's an hour and 15 minutes. It's fairly short. Um, you don't really get any kills, right? There, there's no kills in this movie. Now that I think yeah, about it, there's really, one there's yeah. one kind of sorta later on, which I won't get into obviously because it's a little bit of a spoiler. But yeah, for the majority of the film, it, it, there's not really any death <laughs> so much as just uh, stalking and haunting more than mm-hmm. anything. But like I said, for whatever it's worth, I still found it mildly entertaining, very middle of the road for me. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it to any horror fans, especially because we're at the end of 2019 and most of us podcasters are finishing up our 2019 watches so that we can get our top 10 or top 20 lists, you know, together for 2019. So 
Um, this definitely isn't one that I would necessarily recommend, but maybe years down the line, if you see it for free on Amazon Prime, and like I said, you're a fan of uh, demonic possession, ghost hunting type movies, then, you know, it might be worth checking out. At the very least, it's short. Um, I mean, at, at no point that I necessarily feel bored because like I said, it's, it, it's so quick. It's got a decent pace. Um, obviously we do, you know, a, as a horror movie watcher, you might get a little frustrated that nothing's really happening because this particular ghost hunting team, you know, doesn't embellish their, their productions, their sets or anything. So it's like, obviously they find nothing for most of the film. So that might be, that might bring down some people's enjoyment a little bit, but for whatever it's worth, you know, when I see like, um, you know, the infrared lens or or the night vision lens and I see them using like um, uh, those pots that they were using, those light up pots. I forget exactly. REM pots, I think they were calling them. Uh, and then EVP stuff. I mean, I, I actually do watch some ghost hunting shows. So, like I said, I was a little intrigued, but I definitely don't know that I would necessarily recommend it. But. <laughs> one of I don't know about you, Mike, but one of the greatest things in this movie, uh, there's a Native American character that shows up fairly early and he's wearing a red MAGA hat. But instead of it saying make America great again, it actually says make America native again. I literally applauded in my living room by myself. I'm like, that is a great hat. And especially with him wearing it, because from far away, it, it looks like a MAGA hat. So right. most people would probably be a little freaked out to see a Native American wearing that. But once you get close enough to read it, it's like, ah, that makes sense. So, yeah, bravo to the filmmakers or whoever came up with that hat. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you got to overlook the, the Native American being the stereotypical shaman character. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's either him or like a it's either going to be a native american or like what an elderly latino uh, or grandma like a, or auntie or, <laughs> or a gypsy woman yeah something weird like that i mean yeah i mean you're always going to get those uh stereotypical characters in movie like this i think i think we call him the harbinger it, not uh, in this movie i mean a, as a horror trope i think we call it you know he's the crazy ralph of this movie he is the harbinger so yeah go figure but uh you know, n nothing about this movie really shines necessarily. Nothing is stellar. It's all um, average to maybe slightly below average, hence, you know, the IMDb score that it currently holds. But, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, you know, I didn't hate it. I didn't, you know, walk away angry. <clears throat> Black Christmas. <clears throat> anyway, um, <laughs> you know, for, for whatever it's worth, I enjoyed my 75 minutes that I spent with it, and I will probably never revisit it. But, you know, and I actually do like the box art for whatever it's worth. I mean, it's a little, it's a little hokey, but I, I kind of just like the design of like the ups, the, the girl hanging upside down coming out of the portal. For, like I said, once again, it looks kind of like a sci-fi type thing because the those could easily be alien hands sticking out of the portal that you know, as opposed to a demon or a ghost or something. So, but for whatever it's worth, uh, the entire movie is you know about as middle of the road as it gets. Yeah, um, and if you want an extension of this for another Christmas special, listen to our Black Christmas Fresh Cuts. <laughs> if if, if anything, you'll probably laugh. Yeah, shameless plug. <laughs> um, yeah, but I agree for the most part. You know, as far as recommending this or not, it's hard to just throw out there with a full recommendation. I, I would say if you are a fan of, like, the mock ghost hunter shows and movies, if, if you – 
if, if that's the kind of setup you like in a movie um, or that you're just kind of drawn to those, then I would say give this one a shot. You'll you'll probably like it enough to um, be satisfied with a recommendation. If those aren't your type of movies, I would just say wait on it. You know, put it on a back burner. And if it shows up in, your, in a list down the road, you know, maybe give it a shot as well. It's, it's not the best, certainly not the worst. Oh, um, yeah. It's not even the worst movie I've seen this week. Go figure. So <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. I mean, I think that's about sums up what we need to say on it. Oh right? yeah, there's not there's not really much more we can get into without spoiling any major plot points. So um, we didn't really get into the quote unquote ritual, but we'll leave that to the viewers to experience organically the way we did because it might be one of the better aspects of the film, honestly. Um, <laughs> For but, sure. You know, it's not really saying a lot with a movie that holds a 3.7 rating right now. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, check us out on No More Room in Hell and Fresh Cuts. And uh, there's actually many more. But listen to our other shows and you'll find out all the other stuff we do. <laughs> uh, Jason, thanks for having us on another VOD special. It's always, it's always fun. I mean, it's such a grab bag of, of movies we get that you you really never know whether you're going to like it or not and most of the time the title and the synopsis and now unfortunately find out that the <laughs> the uh recognizable actors or actresses doesn't really determine much either so no, not at all <laughs> so we'll probably be back on the next one too um but uh i think that's it for us everyone have a great christmas and holiday season whatever you celebrate and uh You'll catch us back on Horrorphilia in, in 2020. Take care, everybody. Back to you, Jason. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. All right, thank you fellas for that review. I'm sure you did a kick-ass job like you normally do. So make sure if that film sounds cool, check out the show notes for that. Now it's going to be time for our first musical break. And it is going to be for another instrumental by August Burns Red. It's Frosty the Snowman. Check in a few.
All right. So I hope you enjoyed that song. So now we're back and we got a couple of reviews in a row by some NFWers. And if you're not familiar with that podcast, it is the No Fucking Way Movie Commentary Podcast. First up is going to be a double review by Nudie and Suzanne. They are tackling two films here. One is called Blood Bags and the other one is Pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, man. Usually I give them either <clears throat> really good films or shitty films. So let's see how these uh, turned out. Take it away, guys. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to another Bloody Bits Reviews with Nudie and Suzanne from the NFW. What's up, Suzanne? Hey, happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays indeed. It's almost mm-hmm. here and gone. We oh, have God. two doozies on our agenda today. <laughs> a 2018 movie called Pumpkins and a 2018 movie called Blood Bags. Uh, we'll start with Pumpkins and I guess I will... <laughs> <laughs> Read the synopsis. There really isn't even a synopsis, a synopsis. An 80s style atmospheric slasher horror movie based in North Yorkshire. So yeah, both of these films are foreign to begin with. It gets a a pretty shitty review on 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 IMDb with a 3.3 out of 10. Uh yeah. Anyway, the movie starts off with this lady and her grandfather or her father taking care of some pumpkins in a patch. A guy. I guess really cares about his pumpkins and some hooligans as they like to call them in in Europe. They kind of started to do shit to the old man's pumpkins. So he got pissed off and, and he uh, started to do something to scare the kids. And they ended up causing the old man to have a heart attack in the pumpkin patch. And lo and behold, he spilled his mystery shit all over the pumpkins and himself that he used to make the pumpkins big. And he turned, he turned it to this pumpkin killer. <laughs> so basically the rest of the movie is this, this pumpkin killer and his granddaughter just killing these hooligans and other people that they run into contact with in the pumpkin patch woods area. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this movie was fucking terrible. I, I did not like this movie one bit. I mean, the pumpkin killer was okay looking, but that, even after a while, it started to just look like a fake, fake Halloween mask. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't recommend this movie to anyone. <laughs> they just didn't flesh out anything. The, you didn't really know why the the guy turned into the pumpkin that he did. The daughter, all of a sudden, she just turned into a psychopath and was like going along with this pumpkin, killing everybody, and it was just very weird. Uh, there was one one scene which. I'll be. It's going to be a spoiler, but the pumpkin like squirted like pumpkin juice or spit pumpkin juice onto one of the guys he was killing, and it acted like an acid. But they never did it again in the rest of the movie, so it was like a wasted thing. I thought it was really cool, a really cool thing to you know, hey, this pumpkin spits pumpkin juice acid or whatever. But they never fleshed it out beyond that. It just <laughs> I don't know. And then they. <laughs> the movie just dragged and dragged and dragged and people in the woods, people chasing it, running out of the woods. And the, the kills were kind of, kind of stupid. Like the, the kills were all off, off screen for the most part. And then they would show you, you know, an after shot or whatever. But so, yeah, I don't know. What did you think? I, this one, I had issues with it from the beginning. It was one of those movies that the sound effects were so loud 
that I'd have to turn the TV down. And then the dialogue was so soft that I had to turn the TV back up. Yeah, that too. That was aggravating as hell. And I agree with that. All of a sudden, it's like you see him coming at somebody. And then, um, yeah, you see they, they were really into the severed limbs in this movie. That must have been their special effects artist like showcase thing. Severed limbs because there were many. <laughs> and they look terrible. <laughs> and it's just, once again, I agree with you. It's got like, it has a decent premise, but I mean, that was I the same scene that you mentioned was one of those. I'm like, okay, why is he not shooting pumpkin juice in other people's faces? Yeah. Because that yeah. was actually kind of cool. It was really and, cool. And then they did nothing with it. <laughs> exactly. It was just, and for being such a remote area, I have to admit, that those were some busy woods. Yeah. There were all kinds of campers, people running <laughs> around. Like, okay, and it's supposed to be, you know, uh, somebody else's land with no trespassing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he, he, the, <laughs> the daughter or whatever gives, gives the pumpkin killer a knife. Like, what? <laughs> Why did the yeah. pumpkin killer need a knife? Like, he could have used his acid on everybody. I mean, he did He did a, a neck break on a couple of them and, and shit like that. But it was just silly. And then I get uh, the, 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 the main pumpkin guy started controlling baby pumpkins. So the baby pumpkins were like, when somebody's carving it, it starts biting them and shit. And the pumpkins, are, now you're seeing through a pumpkin eye hole instead. It was just so yeah. weird. <clears throat> it was just a strange, a strange setup, and the whole, the whole way they pulled it off just was not good, not good at all. Yeah, we totally need to do this on the NFW. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> next is, Halloween. This is, yeah, this is this is totally a straight up NFW movie. I mean, I, I hate to always talk, you know, bad about these low budget movies, but it's, it's not there. The, the, I mean, the the main girl, I guess she wrote it and directed it too. You know, which just you know they tried, but I, I I don't know. There's just there was something there that they they just didn't pull the trigger on it the right way, and I I'm starting to get used to the accents now because a lot of movies that I'm watching from this bloody bit show is all UK movies and stuff, so I'm kind of getting used to the accents. So it's not even that anymore. It's just very weird, and and they of course you know the end scene leaves it leaves it up to a, a possible sequel down the line, so maybe. With a bit more money and a little more care, they might the sequel might be a little bit better. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I mean, if you you like schlock and this kind of stuff, you might like this movie, but I don't recommend it at all. I'm gonna probably give it a two out of five. Yeah, I a few extra lines of dialogue. I mean, I could have done. I, I mean, it was it, the premise was there, but you know, hey, when they're in that tavern. A few lines of dialogue. Say something about the crazy old man and his weird pumpkin thing. Give us something. Well, it would Well that too. Wasn't there like it was like fifteen minutes inside that bar and all we saw was like fifteen minutes of uh them folk singing. Like they wasted so much time. Yeah. I mean I understand the filler, but a few yeah. lines of dialogue would have added a lot more to the story because I have to admit I was kind of curious about his pumpkin juice and yeah. uh, why he was so isolated. And I will say one funny thing about this. At the very beginning, when he's sitting there and talking to his pumpkins and our hooligans start mucking about. Wow, that was a little British. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, I, I needed some dial, I, I needed some subtitles there. 
because I could not understand a damn word he said, and I, I'm, I, I know those accents. Yep. But it's just there, a few extra lines of dialogue would have really up this one for me. So I think, you know what, I'm going to stick with the two out of five as well. It needs some help. Yeah, I mean, it, they they've padded the runtime to ninety minutes, and it, it was at least it, it wasn't maybe it wasn't fifteen minutes, but it was at least ten minutes of them singing a song in the bar, which had no reason to be there. That lady was running into the bar because she was scared, blah blah blah, and needed help, and they spent ten minutes singing a song and watching all the drunks. It's like, it, it, there was no need for that. Yeah. Or for a movie that was already barely keeping my my attention, I was like, seriously. Yeah. All right. So yeah, two two out of five for both of us. I mean, it's not really uh, a two is being generous, but you know it does have a few good things to it. So yeah. All right. So move on to your your pick, Blood Bags. All right, Blood Bags, 2018, and it's Italian. And the, your brief synopsis is: a creature stalks the corridors of an abandoned mansion. Two friends break in and discover that all exits have been sealed off and the creature that hunts them is growing hungry for their blood. There is no escape. I dug this movie. I really did. You movie kind of starts out with this guy uh, paying a prostitute for her blood. And you can only guess where it's going to go from there. Then we move on to some college students who are, you know, talking about the futures. They're in Italy. One of them is trying to be a photographer and she's loving the architecture. And this one guy tells him about this little town that's got, you know, some old buildings. So she decides to go and explore a little bit, drags her friend with her. Little thing here I've got to point out. One of the guys that was sitting in the cafeteria was wearing a deep red shirt. We all know what that means. (laughs) And so they arrive at this, uh, mansion and decide uh, what or as i call it the villa to take some pictures and she's just kind of wandering around snapping photographs where she's going and of course the other girl's bored as fuck and decides to wander off and the guy is set up like not really straight up booby traps but noisemakers when somebody is moving around in the house and here's where we get started and basically, the beginning of the movie, they've given you kind of a brief synopsis of this thing called Gunther's disease, which is basically the background lore for vampires. So we've got that going on in the background. And uh, I have to admit that bloody cooler was kind of nasty. <laughs> yeah, it was. So, I mean, got, you've got to love the Italians for at least giving me something that made me go, ew. <laughs> And for once, too, the cops in this movie weren't stupid cops either, like in most movies. Yeah, that's <laughs> those things that absolutely has got to the point where it aggravates the hell out of me. Yeah. Please act like a cop. And I, it's, once again, another thing that just a little thing that I noticed was the name of the street that the villa was on was called Via Bava. So right. they were they were giving their nods. And once, of course, you know, friend gets killed. Madness and chaos ensue. Some robbers are in there that were trying to basically steal the place. And the other robber's friend had died due to this uh, monster. I I just, this is one of those movies I don't really want to give too much away. This is the beginning. This is the setup. The 
the music was pretty good. I the the American actress though, I thought she was absolutely horrible. Yeah, the 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 blonde girl, the lead. Oh my god. Yeah. I, she ruined the well. She didn't ruin the movie, but she, you could. She was just bad. She was a terrible actress. Please don't act again. I'm begging you. <laughs> and she it just seemed like she was reading. If it wasn't stiff and wooden, it looked like she was reading the cue cards off screen. I and did you, I like the she she was a character who wore glasses and in the early scene she lost her glasses and so they played it up pretty well that she couldn't see. So I like that aspect of it. That was oh, a yeah, cool, they, they, you know, they don't they, they don't play that, that trope too often. So it's kinda nice that, you know, they they followed through with that and and it comes to you know, comes to play later. But yeah. overall I didn't I did enjoy the movie too. I thought it was pretty good. I, I had the I stopped it halfway through the first time I was watching it because I watched it after I watched the other one. So I was kind of annoyed and just <laughs> wasn't really into it because I was so pissed off about how bad the other one was. Yeah. So I just stopped it and then I went back to it yesterday and I really I really enjoyed the way it played out and it had some really some good some good scenes to it. I mean, it's nothing groundbreaking, you know. But for an overall, just, you know, an hour and a half, we want to watch a movie. It was pretty decent. Like you said, we don't want to spoil too much on this one because we enjoyed it. So other people might watch it. But, um, yeah, I had a little a little issue with the ending of the movie. But yeah, uh, the ending just seemed like it was completely cut out of order because it just it made no sense. Yeah, it, doesn't, it, just, it leaves you wondering what the hell's going on. And, and that's not it's not a good it wasn't left for you to think that there was going to be a sequel coming. So uh, I, if anybody else watches this and you want to like send us your interpretation of what the ending was, let us know, send us a message on FW. Cause you know, we, I want to know what the hell, what the hell was going on there. I mean, the only thing I can, I'm going to take a stab at is that she, that she had gotten captured relatively quickly and then she just started hallucinating. The whole thing is they were draining her of blood. Yeah, yeah, I don't That's, know. just a weird ending. Thing. Yeah, it was just uh, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. I'm I really can't go to a five, but I'm gonna stick with maybe a four. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a three and a half. So that's like seven out of ten. Or- three and a half out of five. Uh, I don't know that I'd watch it again. If there was a, a, a sequel that explained more, I might watch the sequel, but I can't say that I would go back and watch this again. So I'm going to give it a three and a half. But yeah, overall, I, it was a good watch. Yeah, I did enjoy it. And this is one that I think I would go back and watch again. I just, I don't know. There's just something, it had a charm to it that I really enjoyed and it was different it's not the same old shit that's been overdone or at least it has been overdone but this one at least kept my interest yeah all right um so yeah we hope you enjoyed our reviews and uh you know you can find us on nfw podcast and suzanne does a bunch of shows with gary and all that good stuff so you know where to find us all right, so like I said, let us know what you think of this movie because I want to know what you guys thought of the ending. So until we meet again, 
This has been NFW for Bloody Bits. Goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Thank you for that review. Awesome job, Nudie, the Tom Brady D-sucker. And we got Miss Suzanne. Thank you once again for another review and participating on the podcast. Hopefully these films weren't too shitty. But make sure you check them out on the NFW Movie Commentary Podcast. All right. Now, the next review is going to be by one, another first-timer uh, on Bloody Bits, Miss Heather Powell. Once again, she's on the NFW Podcast also, but she's also on It's Not Horror, Okay? And she chose a film called Blood Myth. Take it away, Heather. Hi there. My name's Heather Powell, and this will be my first time on Bloody Bits. So thank you very much, Jason Lloyd, for the invite. And the movie that I've been asked to review is Blood Myth. So Blood Myth was released in 2019. And the synopsis on MIBD, a journalist desperately tries to find his missing fiance and finally uncover the truth behind a sinister folklore, leading him down a dangerous road of discovery. So the generous rating of this film on IMDb was a 2.8 out of 10. Um, my next step was to look to see what it was rated on Rotten Tomatoes, and there wasn't even a Rotten Tomatoes rating. And on Prime, it was given one star. So, um, where to begin with this film? Well, to start off with, this film is based in folklore and talks about folklore and is and that is the, the whole concept of it. So for those of you who would like a definition of folklore, um, it is the traditions, beliefs, customs, and stories of a community passed through the generations of word of mouth. So this movie is definitely very much entrenched on traditional oral storytelling, which I am quite a fan of, um, being from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I have gone northern uh, Sudbury in that area and love sitting around the campfire and telling stories of whether it be mass murderers or werewolves or whatever other things lurk in the night and in the dark corners or traditions. Um, I also am terrified of most folklores. I have yet to do the Bloody Mary thing. I have never looked in the mirror and said Bloody Mary out of sheer fear of what could happen, as well as I do not play with Ouija boards. And up until recently, I tried to hold my breath when I would pass by um, cemeteries. Now, I understand a lot of that also mixes with urban legends and stuff too, but I think it all kind of ties together of storytelling. So, to kind of give an overview of this movie, it was it was rated pretty low, um, but I don't always take other people's ratings into consideration. And I think a lot of times when we watch movies, we need to consider what our type is and what we're in the mood for that day. Um, when I read some other reviews online for this movie, it was compared very commonly to Midsommar and The Witch, which for some of us, we either love those movies or despise those movies. I am personally, um, I would say, lukewarm to hot on Midsommar, and I have yet to see The Witch, um, but what I also felt this movie reminded me of was The Village. So the reason why I am tying to The Village, which I know some people would not consider horror, being one of them, but it's the build-up. 
So this story, this movie is very much based on character development. So if you were to picture yourself in a situation where you're going for a walk and suddenly there starts to be a slight incline and the incline starts to get steeper and steeper and steeper as you go very gradually, then this film may be for you. So it starts off with a lot of character development between the main character who is a journalist and his pregnant fiance, eight and a half months pregnant fiance. So that always adds a little bit of an extra, I guess, excitement to the story. This pregnant lady walking around, is she going to have a baby anytime soon? Anyway, um, what I thought was a big strength of this was the character development was solid. You know, the acting was good. I, I read online that uh, people didn't like the acting. I thought the lines that were delivered were very accurate to what a real relationship would look like, especially with someone who is on the verge of giving birth and being uncomfortable. Um, clearly, they're in a committed relationship, but the, the dialogue isn't super cheesy. It's very down to earth. The conversations they have are you know, typical of a couple that's been together with the bickering and whatnot, which I enjoy. I enjoy that realism. I thought the filming was interesting. Um, right at the beginning, it's being filmed almost like a documentary. So it's almost, it starts off, sorry, um, to retract there, it starts off with found footage. So you, you see only a flashlight guiding you and a video camera kind of taking shots as we're going through the credits and it's dark and they're calling out people's names and they're trying to find these people and you have this almost sense of dread of when is something going to come up on the camera you know they're they're going by flashlight it's it's pbo what's going to happen and eventually they come across a gentleman that is covered in blood and then it goes right into the movie so and then from there we flash forward to the journalist who's talking about his role as a journalist so i guess he works for this tabloid and i believe this movie is based in the uk and he is in charge of investigating folklores and myth hunts, the blood myth storyline. And the beginning of it just shows him interviewing people and having them tell stories about different folklores that have occurred in his film, very documentary style. And then he comes in with some narration. And one line that they keep saying throughout that is, tell me a story, which I thought was very interesting because as for some of us who have seen scary stories to tell in the dark that came out this year, that was a tag on in that film. So I don't know who stole what from who or if we would consider that stealing, but tell me a story was constantly used throughout this movie. Anyway, after the uh, the journalist who gets informed that there's this myth, this um this myth called 30 where people disappear every 30 years and whatever goes out to this small removed town and of course as they're going to this small town him and his fiance the the cell's reception drops down there's not a lot of people on the road they're backcountry roads these are inns with the old school sign-in system so like literally they just have a big book so they can't get internet there you know the typical isolation horror story and what i will say ties in very good for this film is the music i i think music for all of us pulls in some kind of emotion and during this the music that was used was very good so the music at the beginning is very light um it adds to the character development or there isn't any music at all but when they're driving and they're getting more and more isolated out to this countryside the music represents that dread and as of course as they're arriving at nighttime and odd things start happening around them, the music represents it. So 
eventually, and this isn't a spoiler of any kind, um, his fiance goes missing. And that happens about 30 minutes into this running time, which is 81 minutes. So it's a pretty short film. And of course, the gentleman, the journalist, goes to look for his fiance. And I'll give the film credit for for you know, they follow through what someone probably would do. So the first thing they would do is look around for them Ask the innkeeper, who, of course, is extremely unhelpful and creepy because, well, they're in the secluded countryside with no Internet and barely any cell phone service and doesn't seem to let to let the journalist use his landline to call his fiance. Um, and eventually, throughout his searching, not able to find her, they contact the local police service who comes out and does the usual, well, are you sure you guys just didn't have a fight and she took off? She'll probably be back sometime soon, etc., etc. So up to this point in the movie, I think they're doing a pretty good job of showing that um, there is something going on. The townspeople are all acting very odd. They're very unhelpful to this man they keep telling him not to worry about it he actually goes to the local paper thinking that he can put an ad in the paper um which i think is i don't i don't know what the ad in the paper was going to do but i guess maybe he thought that was the only way of mass communication within the town and the, the paper guy completely blows him off so he's becoming ever more frustrated so eventually he does connect with another character um from this town who also believes in this myth and and they are convinced that um his fiance has been taken by this creature who 30 years prior took another woman who was pregnant and this seems to be something that the creature does every 30 years or so now i can honestly say by this point um i had already predicted what the outcome of the movie would be so i'm gonna let you uh, assume as viewers when we talk about things like people comparing this to Midsummer the Witch and myself comparing it to the village that it's obviously a plot twist and has an ending that I think in most season horror fans halfway through would begin to go hmm this may not be a monster but um, anyway, it, it did continue to build um, his searching for his fiance, the intense situations he would end up being in, the red herring road that he goes down of accusing somebody um, who wasn't involved, but just super creepy. So there's there's lots of good plot and story development. And to be honest with you, by the time I got to the hour point, I was like, you know what? Maybe this rating wasn't too fair. Like, yes, it's it's a little low budgetly filmed. And yes. You know, you could pull apart the movie on how he reacted when his wife was missing, but it's a movie. And I think that we just, for the plot's sake to move along, you have to have people doing somewhat, I don't want to say dumb things, but maybe not following all the proper procedures that would actually happen if someone was to go missing. Um, and the soundtrack. And really, for me, what really made it was the soundtrack. Very well shot. The, the still shots that were done, the long, wide focus shots, the... Um, kind of just the pausing on things to to let the music play and for that anticipation to build up. I didn't look at my phone once and I am pretty addicted to Facebook and Instagram. So the fact that I was able to hold back during that time tells me that it, it wasn't that bad. But unfortunately, I don't know what happened in the last 10 minutes of this film. Um, I was talking to a good friend of mine earlier today and I said the only thing I can compare it to is is when you're sitting 
watching somebody give a speech or a presentation in class and then you realize that they've talked too long and they have to rush through the last part of it, that's exactly what happened with this ending. So I feel like all the tension, all the, the setting with the creepy countryside and the music leading up to it and all that stuff kind of just, for lack of better words, fell to crap within that last 10 minutes of the film. Um, I rewatched the last 10 minutes three times to try to see if I could understand exactly what the conclusion was. And I had asked Jason if we do spoilers in these, and I didn't even know how to spoil this movie because I'm still not quite sure what the ending was. Um, the ending, it was not a monster, so there's a spoiler for you. But it, it definitely um, went down a road, but it didn't meet that full conclusion. So I think it was trying for a midsummer, the witch, um, the wicker man, I don't know, even in the village with just that twist ending and it just fell flat. Um, the special effects and there was no kills, and no blood in this or the blood that was there was not, you don't see any kills on screen. You see them all off screen. You just see the aftermath and it's not gory or bloody by any stance of the imagination. So if you enjoy that, I suggest not watching this film. But it just kind of left it awkwardly. And they kind of tried to have this artistic ending with the conclusion of one of the characters getting their haircut, saying to the barber, tell me a story. And I got what they were trying to do. They were trying to do something different. They were trying to do something maybe a little more artistic, but it just came across looking sloppy. So when I look at the rating of 2.8 out of 10, I, I do understand it um, because of that ending. I don't, yet again, I don't know if they ran out of time, they ran out of money, they thought it was artistic. I have no idea exactly what they were doing with it, but it was rushed. Um, it wasn't well acted, which was sad because the acting up to this point had actually been quite good for a low made budget quality film. So I would give it a rating of, if we were to use the 10 system, I think for the fact that the, the first bit was so well done, I would probably move it up to a 4.5. Um, I thought that the actors that were in it did a decent enough job. I, I believed in there that they were a couple and that it was a, it was an actual um, conversations that couples would have. I did buy into the dread when they were driving up to this isolated town, countryside, whatever. I did buy into his concern when his fiance was missing. Um, I did buy into his passion to find her and the, and the struggles that he goes through and that frustration. But I feel as though that last 10 minutes, so much more could have been done. And if they had just taken the time to either explain it better or act it better, or I don't know, budgeted better, or, or not try to do such a weird artistic ending, probably all of the above, it would have made the film a lot more entertaining. So um, finally, would I recommend it to anybody? I think you should only watch this film if you really, really like slow burns. Like you gotta really enjoy slow burns. You gotta really like character development. Pro not a lot of gore, so you, you can't be expecting too many good kills. And I would definitely have to say you would need to be in the mood for that type of film. And you know, I, I hear a lot on podcasts where people will say, "Oh, I'm not a gore hound, and I don't like slashers." and Oh, Midsommar is so great. And and absolutely, there's slashers that are so great. And there's Midsommar that's so great. And there's other movies like Heredity and Us and Get Out. And they're all great. But you need to be in the mood for that. 
you know, and sometimes you're just in the mood to watch a mindless slasher. And sometimes you're in the mood to watch more of a, a thinking film. And I would consider this a thinking film, but at the same time, that last 10 minutes are just probably not worth your time. So, and I don't even know if watching it for that first hour is going to be that much worth your time. But um, I definitely don't think it was the worst movie I've ever seen. It definitely won't get that award. So thank you very much, Mr. Lloyd, for letting me come onto this show. This was a awesome experience, and I'm going to pass it on back to you. All right. Thank you, ma'am, for that awesome review. Now, Heathers, I did check out a few minutes of the podcast here. I just wanted to get a feel to see what her style was with Solo, because I believe she said this is her first time doing anything solo and she did a kick-ass job so thank you miss powell for that review and i hope you enjoyed it i hope the film wasn't too painful so you can uh, do more of these in the future make uh, make sure you check out her podcast all right now it's time for another musical break and this is by a really cool band um i'm not even sure if they're around anymore but they had a bunch of kick-ass albums in the past they're actually a skull band which I know Skull is pretty played out by now, but uh, they are actually one of the best, if not the best, Skull band I've ever heard. And they're called Five Iron Frenzy. And this is a Christmas song they did on a compilation, and it is called You Gotta Get Up. Get his bike. Did I get the red wagon? The kind that makes you fly. Oh, I hope there'll be peace on earth. I know there's goodwill toward men. On account of that baby born in Get his bike Did I get the red wagon The kind that makes you fly Oh, I hope there be peace on earth Another goodwill toward men On account of that baby born in Bethlehem Mommy and Daddy stayed up too late last night Guess I got carried away in the Christmas candlelight But you gotta get up, you gotta get up, you gotta get up It's Christmas morning you gotta get up, you gotta get up, you gotta get up It's Christmas morning You gotta get up, you gotta get up, you gotta get up It's Christmas morning 
And that song, I actually uh, play it in the morning if my kids don't get up in time, which, believe it or not, some Christmases they sleep in, don't even wake us up like a crack of uh, dawn like I used to with my parents. But uh, sometimes we have to get them up. So I play this song blasting in their rooms. All right, now moving on to the next review. It is a film called Echoes of Fear by the guys from Anatomy of Fear. I thought that was a pretty cool coincidence. <laughs> but uh, it's Brandon and Alan, and they're, it's a fairly new podcast. Uh, I say new. I think they've been around uh, a little bit more than a year, but they have, uh, I think, around 10 episodes or somewhere around there by now. And make sure you check out their shit because their stuff, it reminds me a little bit, in in a way, of uh, some of Mr. Watson's Tour Corridor because they do actual, besides movie reviews, they do two different topics. Uh, I know the past few episodes, they talk about masculinity. Um, man, I can't remember the other topic that they talked about that, uh, that was super interesting, but anyway, make sure you check out their, their stuff. I will have links to their podcast in the show notes also, but anyway, they're going to review echoes of fear. Take it away guys. What's up, bloody bits? This is the Anatomy of Fear. My name is Brandon, and with me, as always, is my co-host Alan. Alan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, sir. Good, good. Uh, we're excited to be coming to you a little bit different tonight than our normal show, and we are super thankful for Jason from the Horophilia Network for inviting us on to review this movie. So, for this uh, edition of Bloody Bits, we are talking about 2019's Echoes of Fear. Uh, directed by Brian Avenet Bradley and Lawrence Avenet Bradley, and stars Trista Robinson. So, a brief synopsis. After inheriting her grandfather's house, Alyssa must confront the mystery of his sudden death and the evil that hides inside. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good synopsis. Um, and you know, so it starts off with this girl. Her grandfather dies. It's he dies. I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of spoil this a little bit. Uh, not too much, but a little bit. So she, the guy dies, and she gets the house, and then she goes down there to, I guess, fix it up. Or it seems like she's just kind of cleaning and moving stuff around. And she's this kind of douchebag boyfriend that shows up every once in a while to help do things, and then disappears, and then weird stuff starts happening, and. Is that a pretty good synopsis, Alan? What do you think? Uh, yeah, actually, that uh, made a lot more sense than I felt like it made when I was watching it. Uh, I felt like I, I didn't really have a synopsis. I just clicked uh, and, and watched. So uh, it was a little bit like a, you get the information piecemeal. But, yeah, I think that that hits all the points. Okay. So tell me, what are your general thoughts on Echoes of Fear? Well, um, I... I I'm kind of torn. Half of me wants to, you know, describe it as a generally terrible movie, which I, I kind of feel like it is. But on another part of me wants to be a little bit more generous and uh, give a little bit of kudos to these people because um, I kind of feel like I understand the people who made it a little bit more than some people might. Like it's a really uh, low budget kind of movie and it has a low budget kind of quality to it. 
and uh, and it it feels like an indie film, but not in the indie festival kind of kind of way. It's more of a there's there's people kicking around making movies, and they keep making movies. And by God bless them for keeping making movies. Um, but this one's just very unpolished, and it has that look of it. Al- it almost has a student film kind of look to it. Um, that may that may seem a little harsh, but just keep in mind, you know, student films are actually not that bad these days. <laughs> they can be pretty good because um, I mean we have we have some pretty amazing technology at our disposal these days compared to the way they they were back in the day. But um, from from just a general movie going standpoint, it's a little slow and there's not a whole lot of tension. Uh, I don't feel like the characters are really well drawn out. A lot of stuff doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And, I mean, it has a couple good moments, and it and it kind of builds to something a little interesting towards the end. But generally, I, 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 I don't think I'll ever watch a movie like this again. So, Okay. You know, I am pretty much in line with you there. I mean, I, I certainly appreciate when people make movies. And especially when, you know, it's more inexperienced filmmakers. Like, you have to get the experience. You have to get the reps in. And there were a few, like, genuinely creepy moments in this movie. Like, you know, I got I got the chills a couple of times. So that didn't that doesn't normally happen. So I appreciated that. Um, I couldn't get past the complete wideness of her eyes through the entire movie. Like, anytime <laughs> there's a noise, her eyes would get all big and she'd kind of stare off. And kind of like Beaker from the Muppets is what I kept thinking. Um, so I was a little distracted by that. Uh, but not a lot to uh, I don't know, man. Again, I don't want to I don't want to shit on someone else's movie because again, I appreciate what you're doing. I know it's a lot of work to make a movie, having worked on a couple myself. So, yeah, just not for me. Didn't really enjoy it. Don't think I'll revisit. And uh, I mean, there were some there were some good ideas, especially you know with kind of the stuff that happens in the crawl space. But it just kind of felt all over the place. Like it it didn't really pick a theme and stick with it. So. That's what I have to say about Echoes of Fear. Anything? You know, one little funny thing. One funny thing I'll add to that is uh, uh, I was thinking this whole movie that uh, this is a lot like Stir of Echoes. And I completely forgot the title of this movie until the very end when it appears on the screen in the title credits. And I'm like, oh, shit. It's basically (laughs) because if you... I don't want to spoil it, but it's very similar to Stir of Echoes. Hmm. And so I immediately went back to, you know, back in the day when uh, I, I watched it when uh, a friend of ours, when I was living with uh, I, like six six other people, we were uh, having this party one night and it was winding down and somebody rented Stir of Echoes and threw it on and nobody turned the DVD player off at the end of the night. So it just kept playing the menu for that movie all <laughs> night long. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept it like throughout the movie, I just kept thinking about the music from that movie and and how much i'd rather be watching that movie okay well yeah i uh, a little harsh but i like that that's good yeah again like i i appreciate what the folks did it just wasn't for me you know if i had to rate it i'd probably give it like a i don't know four and a half out of ten somewhere in that kind of range just a little below average i don't know yeah, it's probably more like a three, but I'd probably give it a four or a five just because, like I said, you know, for all I know, this was like their passion project and they like pulled everything together just to make it. So, you know, I don't want to dash people's hopes and dreams. I hope they make uh, more movies because for all we know, I mean, like you said, there are some creepy moments in this movie. So who knows? Maybe, you know, if they 
make a couple more movies, they'll, uh, you know, they'll start to get pretty good. So, yep. Cool. Well, that's our review of echoes of fear. I feel like I probably said fear of echoes at some point in our little review. So if I got it backwards again, no disrespect. Uh, that's just how my brain works. Not very well. But yeah. So those unfamiliar with us, we are the anatomy of fear. We are a somewhat monthly podcast, more like every two or three monthly, uh, podcast, and we usually tackle bigger issues that are present in horror. So, for example, uh, you know, we did an episode on where evil comes from, and we dove into the exorcist and some of the societal causes around that. So, uh, our most recent episode, we talked about masculinity, and we had our buddy Vin from the Horrorcast on, so that was a lot of fun. And some more episodes coming up soon, along with our year-end review and some more of our topical shows. And uh, we just hope you tune in. And again, we really want to thank Jason Lloyd from Horophilia and all the other Horophilia shows uh, and all the podcasters everywhere uh, because we have a great community of horror podcasters. Alan, anything you want to pitch that you're working on quickly before we get out of here? Um, I am working on a solo cast right now. Uh, I don't want to say what it is yet because I don't want to jinx it. You know how, how people tend to like say what they're working on and then they just get lazy and stop working on it. So I want to finish it first before I start talking about it. So Okay, good enough. And you can find me, yeah, on the Anatomy of Fear on my website, hardstepdesign.com. That has my reviews and my photography. And you can find me on No More Room in Hell Presents Fresh Cuts and a couple episodes of the Horrorcast. And by the time this comes out, uh, probably on Cut to the Chase. So I'm, I'm branching out my horror empire, and I'm not going as hardcore as Jerry Cortez, Mr. Venom. So no worries about that. Uh, but again, thank you, and we'll see you guys later. Thank you, sirs, for that review. Make sure you check out their podcast in the show notes. Now, moving on to the next film. It is Holiday Hill, and it is another horror anthology, which is usually what Joe and Tom take on. They're from the DWN Horror Crap Podcast, <laughs> and uh, they love reviewing these anthology films. Uh, I don't think they love most of the films, but <laughs> they end up loving reviewing them here. So take it away, guys. Hey, Joe, I want to hear you introduce this. Good luck. <laughs> got my line. Bloody bits. Bloody bits. That's Wait. all you got? Let's start over. Okay, and action. Bloody bits. Hey, everybody, welcome to the holiday edition a bloody bit this is t-shirt joe along with tom from the dwn's horrible movie podcast i think that's not it called that's sponsored by fast custom shirts um that's not it that's not it all right terrible horror crap they have to know the name so they can google search it
just oh. like if you Google search Long December and click the image button, you'll find a picture of Joe. So that's fun. These guys are pretty lousy. Let me Google search them. Oh my. So anyway, Tom, nothing says the holidays like a good anthology, right? Yeah, man. I'm on, I think, uh, Vice Academy 5. Yeah. So we were given Holiday Hell to watch. We weren't given it. I chose it because about a year ago you were like, hey, let's just do anthologies. It'll be our gimmick. Yeah, I got some pretty fucking stupid ideas sometimes. It's alright. We're still doing it. Yep, so this one is holiday themed. Kind of. Sort of. No, it's not. Alright, fuck this movie. I got an idea. Okay. I'm gonna re release Cheese Balls, but the only thing differently is I'm gonna redo the title cards so it like has a Christmas border around them. There you go, it can be a Christmas theme movie. Right? Mm-hmm. It'll be called Christmas Cheese Balls. Well, like with all these anthologies, or really any independent movie, you gotta have a hook for the people, you know? You gotta get a name in there to sell your movie that you can put on the DVD box, you know? So I'm like, hey, I like this guy in this, this movie. So this time they got Jeffrey Combs. Um, Which, I don't know if that was the wisest thing, Joe. Because there's another known actor in this movie. And, you know, I I might think that he's more he's more known than Sir Jeffrey. Oh, yeah? Yes. Who would that be? That would be Joel Murray, brother of Bill Murray. Was he the fat guy? Well, he was he was the quote unquote Hollywood fat guy. I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> this movie's not good. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, Why? That's not all I'm gonna say, but I'm just saying it's not good. Um, the wraparound is Jeffrey Combs is a he has an oddity shop, like the one they burned down in Houston recently. What the fuck? Like, yeah, I've heard that. Like, I just recently heard the term oddity shop because that place burned down. What the f- Is it just, hey, come buy my weird new shit? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. uh, This chick walks in in the middle of the night and she's looking to buy something for her sister. We'll get back to her sister later. uh, It's one of these things we'll, like, uh, maybe you would like this, and they fucking tell a story about whatever he's pointing to. The thing he mentions early on is every object in this shop has an untold story. That's a story that's never been told. And, but it was, because when it they was. came in and pawned off the item, he right. was like, alright, so what is this, you shit? Oh, yeah, let me tell you. How would he fucking know the story if it had never been told? just fucking made it up because he's a fucking fibber. Yeah, he could be. He is. We'll get back to that later, Tom. You ever notice how Jeffrey Combs has an acting style? Yeah, he's got some style. He always acts the Jeffrey Combs way. Yeah. And, uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen him in that same jacket in another movie. 
It was one of those productions where they had to bring their own wardrobe from home. <laughs> Everyone had bag lunches, you see. Yeah. So the first story is uh, they point to a, a doll mask on the wall. <laughs> Jesus. So they oh, tell where's the story this going? of the doll face killer. Yeah, this was just paint by fucking numbers. Hey, you see this cracked up, almost perfectly detailed, shitty looking doll mask? Well, this is going to be our first story, and it's going to be known as This is the story I like to call Doll Face. <laughs> Give us the synopsis of this one, Tom. Uh, there's a killer in a doll face mask. Yeah. Lived in this one house. And a bunch of... Are they teenagers? Are they college students? I don't know what they're supposed to be, but they're gathering there to party in this house. One of them's a mongoloid, but I'll let you figure out which one. Yep. And they brought a six-pack to this fucking... He's going into the Hall of Fame again this year, or next year, coming up with the NWO. Hmm. And the doll face killer pops up and just starts killing them. But the doll face killer was the sister of one of the party goers. The party goers? Yeah. I don't know. This was fucking stupid, and like you said, it was very paint by numbers. It goes nowhere, has no suspense, nothing. Sucks. No, there was a good part in this one. My favorite part of the anthology was in this one. When she yells, are you dumb dyke or something like that? (laughs) That's not what she yelled, Joe. What did she yell? So, a couple of uh, ladies go up to the attic to drink vodka out of the bottle with each other. And they get close and smooch. And one of them says, OMFG, you dyke. And then storms away. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Gotta admit to laughing at that. But that's that story. Hey, let's cut back to Jeffrey Combs. He's like, don't I recognize you from somewhere? No, he's like, don't I recognize you from somewhere? He's almost William Shatner-like. Yeah, but not as good. Mm, That's debatable. I guess it depends on what you watched growing up. So they point to another object and he tells the story of... My little rabbi. <laughs> okay, Joe, what do you think this short was really called? Because I stayed through the credits to see who worked on this, if I knew anyone. <laughs> I don't know. What was it called? Oh, come on, uh, three guesses. Uh, okay, uh-huh. let me. I'll give you a hint since you're not, just not. So, so that's all, folks. So you're just not going in it blind. It's a parody name of another movie. Parody name of another movie. Doll of the Dead. No, it's Jewish themed. Jewish themed. Uh, Black Hanukkah. No, it is a Jewish toy themed. I already said my little rabbi. (laughs) But I'm giving you another... That's what they should have gotten. Toy theme. 
Okay. Puppet Minch. The hand that rocks the dreidel. That is, that's actually the name of what they went with to call this story. This is a story I like to call Judal. Joe, Joe, give us a synopsis. Mom and Dad are going to go off on a business trip or some shit, and they're going to leave little little Junior or whatever Kevin, Kevin at home. Can uh, I ask you a question? Yeah. Does this family look Jewish? No. Why? I, the one guy looks like John Chris Felusi, the Ren and Stimpy guy, and the other ones don't look much more Jewish. No. But, but before they go, they give him a dolly. Why? Because he needs a friend. No, because it's Hanukkah. Yeah. It's the last day of Hanukkah, and that's where the holiday theme ties in. So we're on the second story. And besides the sister going Christmas shopping at Jeff's You Shit, this is only the second mention of a holiday in this thing. Notice Dollface, no holidays were mentioned in this movie's called Holiday Hell. The babysitter comes over and she's thinking, well, I'm going to rob this house while the parents are gone. I'm going to call my boyfriend. J-Rock from Trailer Park Boys and he's gonna come over and help me steal everything but the kid has my little rabbi and he says like a he finds a yeah he finds a little thing in Hebrew and he reads that cause he can read Hebrew cause he's done his bar mitzvah I guess and <laughs> that little boy is clipped mhm <laughs> My little rabbi comes to life, I think, or the kid's just making him nod his head, <laughs> and that's it, because we never see him move like a puppet master or anything. And the girlfriend kills the boyfriend accidentally, and I don't remember how she died, but she dies too. She falls down the stairs. Yeah, my little rabbi cleans up the mess, I think. I don't know. Parents come home said we're never hiring her again kids like you sure aren't wink <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so I watched the trailer when Jason sent us the thing I was just like alright let's see what this is about and I saw that and I was like oh you know they might just be ripping off tales from the hood but this could be alright so I was kind of half excited to watch this Boy, am I an idiot. Yeah, I was hoping it would be something along the lines of, you know, the great, like, uh, Tales from the Hood 2 or <laughs> American Nightmares. But nope. Nope. So that brings us to our next story, Pathetic Santa. <laughs> this is about a guy at work. He gets Not just any guy, but Bill Murphy's guy. brother. Bill Murphy. And uh, his wife doesn't want to fuck him anymore. He's fat. He's, He's a fat fucking disgrace. Recovering alcoholic. And he just got passed over for a promotion. But he still gets to play Santa at the uh, at the Christmas company Christmas party. Goes Joe, to the party. Experimental pills. You skipped over that whole thing. 
Yeah, they give him some experimental pills. They don't just give him some experimental pills. Yeah, like, here, go market this or some shit. He works at a company that makes experimental pills, and he's in the, hey, the market this division. That's a big point of the movie. These pills, Joe. These pills that shouldn't even be in this story. Just a man snapping would be fine. But these stupid, stupid people had to throw this pill gimmick in there. Very fast acting pills at that. Just chew them. Yeah, his wife fucks the guy that got the promotion. Not just any guy, but Tom. Yeah. And... He goes out and gets drunk, takes the pills, come back, and starts killing everybody at the party. That's pretty much that story. That's all that's all there is to it. It was good though, right? No. Why are you peeing in my bar, man? Yeah, that's the first person he kills as the bartender. <laughs> Glad you got the reference. Then the next story is called Fuck This Movie. (laughs) I'll be honest with you, Joe. I watched this less than 24 hours ago, and I can't remember what the last story is. Because it's terrible. This girl moves to a new boarding house. Oh, boy, yeah. And doesn't know anybody there and gets sacrificed at the end so the couple that she moved in with can have a kid. That is it. That is the whole fucking thing. So did they have this baby goat? They did. They had a baby, and like the mom was mom. and everything. But now let's go back to Jeffrey Combs and like this chick just can't find anything that she wants to buy her sister. Because her sister's, you know, she's a weirdo. That's why she went into this curiosity shop to find something weird for her. But Jeffrey Combs notices her ring and says, "Hey, I like that ring. I want it." And it's going to kill her for it. But all of a sudden, there's these goth types. No, it's not these goth types. First, he pulls out a letter opener. Says, give me that shit, ho. Run that. And the goth types, they're holding them. And it's like, hey, you remember when you killed my sister that had the same ring as me? Oh, yeah. I thought you looked familiar. Because we were twins. My mama had twins. And she's a witch now. And... She does some shit to... Well, doing a ceremony to bring her sister back from the dead. She starts chanting in Italian. And <laughs> her sister comes back from the dead, but she's just pale and blonde. And Ravioli. 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 <laughs> Angel hair pasta. Gabagol. 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 That's it. That's the movie. This one sucks. Fuck. So, why, why? This this wasn't holiday themed, except for, like, the Santa thing. Right. The Santa thing is the one that had the closest thing. And I guess uh, Little Jew Dow, we just, yeah. we're not in the culture. Sorry, well, you're raised also, correctly. like, the one where they sacrificed the girl that took place on the winter solstice. Oh, yeah, because everybody knows that shit. Yeah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> I wouldn't even say it's not great. 
No, and, and it's not one of these, you know, shitty movies that you'll have fun watching. No, this is just bad. It's just like, it's just a whatever, uh, not gonna offend you horror movie. Like, the only thing they make now is just these run-of-the-mill, just walk-the-line horror movies. Yeah, this is very, uh, very, very typical of the independent movies that are trying to get into Walmart these days. I mean, this is the kind of movie you have to make to get distribution for people to see. Just just say, yep, just walk the line and you'll be all right. Well, it's a sad day. I mean, it is just, this is the kind of shit that we've been seeing and been seeing. It's like, yeah, it sucks. It's just because it's your typical bullshit. I remember, what was it, two reviews ago? we saw one that we were like oh yeah that was alright I remember nothing about it I don't even <laughs> remember the fucking name yeah that's it like all these yeah they're very forgettable they're like eh you know maybe they would have thrived in the video store days but just on rentals nobody would have liked them enough to buy them and uh, granted this one's on Prime so if you have Prime you can watch it for free but still Fucking don't watch this. It's on. Uh, go watch Top Not Detective. T O P K N O T Detective. That's not on Prime. Worth your time. Not worth your time at all. Uh, took me three sittings to watch it. Not good. Yeah, I I wouldn't advise it. Go watch Top Not Detective. I'm pretty sure Greasy Strangler's still on fucking uh, Prime. Or American Nightmares is streaming somewhere. But we're talking about like what's on Prime because this is on Prime. So what would be your alternative? Give us one, Joe. On Prime? Yeah. I don't know what I've watched. JCVD. On. JCVD for sure. See, then go. There's just don't watch. It's not even a fucking holiday movie. It's just cobbled together shit, and the only way that they could sell it was. We'll just slap a holiday title on it and throw it out. Other than that, it's garbage. There's a garbage. Basura. DWNProductions.net for all your masked bus props. Go watch my fucking movies. I'm gonna re-release as Christmas movies like Race War the Remake, Cheese Balls, and A Very Fisted Christmas. Joe, t-shirts. They want them. They do, and they can go to fastcustomshirts.com to get them. Uh, yeah, I've got some holiday-themed t-shirts on there, and they're really holiday-themed. They don't, you know, just come with a bow or some tinsel or anything. So make sure to listen to us every week, kind of, sort of, on the terrible crap... DWN's <laughs> terrible poor <laughs> crap pot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Boy, God. Bloody bits. All right. Thank you, guys, which I'm sure is another killer review. And make sure you check out uh, their businesses here, man. Tom Martino, uh, one of the hosts, he runs DWN, um, and which he's a mask maker, ornament maker. He actually sent me a Jack Frost ornament, and it is amazing, man. Talk about high quality. Oh, man. Every time I see it, I just think of that line in that movie it's not fucking frosty but uh <laughs> yeah it's a high quality stuff so uh, we'll have links 
to his website make sure you check out his mass and he's a filmmaker too so he actually has three films out and make sure you check out those films also they're awesome and then uh the other host was joe garcia he runs fast custom shirts which you can get some kick-ass horror shirts and other shirts for for 10 bucks man so make sure you check out both their respective businesses and thank you guys for being long-time participants to the podcast bloody bits all right, now moving on to the next review. It is going to be the first one from Mr. Philip Perrin. He's uh, going to review two films, except for he split them up into two different segments. So the first one I'm going to play is his review for a film, which I have no idea what it's about. I'm not even sure if it's horror. Hopefully it is. But it's called Marla May. So take it away, Phil. Hello, this is co-host Philip of the Dark Discussions Podcast here to review one of two films that Jason Lloyd has given me to review for this Buddy Bit Special Edition Christmas episode. The film is entitled Mala May. It was originally titled Mala, but it appears it's been re-released, or, or I should say released to the general public as Mala May, so it's been renamed. Uh, the film is available on video on demand but you also can buy a disc copy of it if you prefer uh the film spelling is m-a-r-l-a m-a-e and i do have a blurb uh in here let me read it out Carrie meets It Follows in Mala May, a spine-chilling new horror experience from writer-director Lisa Van Dam Bates. Starring Van Dam Bates, Travis Johnny Weir, Jason Strange, and Katie Hemming, the film explores the terrifying account of a girl who goes to get an IUD implanted by a family friend turned doctor who then commits a deranged act. The event has deadly implications for those close to her. Mala premieres on digital and DVD November 5th from High Octane Pictures. Uh, so this film is written and directed and is the starring role given to uh, Lisa Van Dam Bates. So she's pretty much wearing um, a hat for everything for this film. Uh, the film uh, oddly says Carrie meets It Follows, but I did not see either of those films in this film. This is a distinct beast and I have no idea why they tried to compare it to two very popular films. That doesn't mean this film is not a good film. It means it has no relationship at all to either film. I didn't I don't know why it was compared to it because it doesn't have any anything that it follows or carry has. It's a complete distinct uh, product. Um the film is generally uh starts out as uh Marla May, who's a, a bartender, she's a sexually active uh, 20-something. Uh, she is dating an owner or fellow bartender of uh, the place where she works. Uh, so they obviously have discussed uh, their relationship, and uh, she decides that she wants an IUD so she can uh, continue her relationship with her boyfriend without the use of condoms. Uh, she goes to this gynecologist who happens to be a family friend from when she was a younger person. So she and her brother and this guy were friends as children. And now this guy's a gynecologist and he, being friends with her, offers uh, his services for free. So he gives her an IUD for free as well as a general checkup. And from there, the horror begins. Uh, unfortunately, the, the blurb that I just read kind of gave away some stuff. But uh, generally, the... It's hard to explain this film as well because if the premise is basically anybody that she has sexual relationships with in any form, uh, whether consensual or not, um, 
something bad occurs. Uh, so it's kind of tough to talk about how things happen that would not spoil this film. Um, but the blurb did say one thing of interest, which is the event has deadly implications for those close to her. So you can gather what that means. Um, the film is a pretty solid film for um, a low-budget horror film. Um, obviously, if you're a fan of woman-themed films that have been written and directed and starring woman, uh, this this film fits the bill because, as I stated, Lisa Van Dam Bates, the writer-director, is also the star, and she does pretty much everything. Um, she's definitely not modest and um, is a strong actor in the sense that she's willing to do uh, the nude scenes that are required for this film because obviously with that premise of a sexually active woman who goes and gets a IUD implanted and then terrible things begin to happen uh, so she is not a f a f she does not have fear of the camera um, the film uh, actually kept my attention pretty well uh, it it's a solid film to the point where I would consider buying it on disc. Uh, it had enough things that uh, horror fans would want. The gore is pretty solid. Um, the, the nudity is, is obviously there for, for uh, slasher-type films and, and horror films in general. Uh, but all in all, uh, this is more of a scientific thriller-type thing, which is kind of cool. So it, it has an interesting aspect where it's not... Um, supernatural and it's not necessarily just a crazed killer out there's something else going on and that's what I think kind of um, makes this film stand out from the other VOD um, low budget horror films that you would find anywhere whether it's Netflix VOD uh, Amazon Prime or whatnot um, so I, I would I would consider checking it out um, I actually um, thought it was the better of the two films that I'm reviewing for this episode. Um, it's not as good as some Bloody Bits reviews that I've, I've gotten, but it's, it's definitely above average and has a uh, interesting character development where we really do get to empathize with our lead actress and uh, the friends that she is surrounded with. Um, so all in all, uh, pretty solid. Um, so where can you find us? Uh, as I said, you can find it on VOD. It's, it's fairly tough uh, because not necessarily available on all VOD platforms. So I would recommend that you just search around. Uh, one place you can check is uh, some basically movie app things that give you where you can find films such as Just Watch or Flickster. You can type in films and, and Basically, uh, they'll tell you where you can rent it or watch it uh, streaming. Uh, once again, this film is called Mala May. It's a pretty solid 2009 low-budget uh, horror film directed, starring, and written by a woman. High Octane Pictures uh, usually has mixed results, and, and this is one of their better ones. So... Um, I would most certainly check it out, and if you want to buy the disc, you can get it fairly cheap as well, wherever films are found. So uh, once again, we will uh, go back to Jason Lloyd and Buddy Bits. Thank you, sir, for that review, and you haven't heard the the end of Philip. He got one more review that I'm going to play towards the end of the podcast, but make sure you check out his podcast, The Dark Discussions. 
amazing long-running podcast. I guarantee if you check it out, you're going to like it. So now it's time for another musical break. It is another instrumental from August Burns Red, and this time it is their take on Winter Wonderland. Next up is Moods and Derek, which they should really come up with some type of duo podcast name for Bloody Bits because they've done several of these in a row. But they are taking on a film. <laughs> it's funny, this is a Christmas edition, but they're actually taking on a film called One Night in October. So take it away, fellas. Yes, yes, yo. Yes, yes, yo. Yes, yes, yo. <laughs> Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? It's your boy Moods representing the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast. And of course, I have my hetero life mate with me tonight on Bloody Bits. We got the Doc Dunkaroo, the Boston Bava, the D Feel Aware, D Nice with the Dice, Derek Dillinger, Dark Depot Derek, Dat Gia Derek, Derek Effects, aka Derek here. What's going on, homie? Yeah. Uh, I needed that great intro after the experience that I went through. <laughs> you like the Boston Bava? That's good. Yeah, I, I did like that. Yeah, I just came up with that like five minutes ago. So that was, uh, yeah, I was making, uh, you know, putting a little bit of a light into my day also. Um, first of all, I just want to thank Jason for making us review this one in uh, December. A Halloween-themed yeah. movie in December. What's going on? So we were just actually kind of laughing about this. We were looking up the release date of this, and it said it was released um, October 15th. So I don't know what's really going on here, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I 
it feels weird. It does. Doesn't it feel weird though? It's like as we record this this review, it is exactly one week until Christmas. It's December eighteenth. We're recording a review for a Halloween theme movie called One Night in October. Um, it just it feels awkward watching a Halloween theme movie in you know like right around Christmas time. It's strange. Yeah, it was it was fucking weird. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I th- I think what we got to do now from now on when we you know um, when he puts the titles up for grabs for reviews we need to get there real early to pick something you know not for real yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow man wow so I'm pretty sure this one got picked because it was an anthology film like you know what anthology Halloween usually can be a decent pairing um yeah let's get into this so. One Night in October uh, from 2017 made its uh, festival debut in 2017, got released this year um, on video. So quick little synopsis. Strange things are happening to the residents of a suburban town who are tormented by a series of murderous characters, both real and supernatural. As their tales intertwine, they weave together a haunting, inescapable night of terror. Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, when you read the synopsis, the first thing you're thinking of is uh, Trick or Treat, right? Halloween, yeah. intertwined, anthology-type style film. And, I mean, the synopsis isn't misleading. I mean, the, the tales are kind of interwoven a little bit, but they don't... The thing about this anthology is, is that they don't really meet up, like... You know, yeah, they don't connect at all. They don't. So, it's just a fancy way of telling three different stories, really. Um <laughs> If you want to use the the adjective fancy, Um, it's this. Okay, so basically what we have here, there's three different stories. We have one story involving a group of friends that are, you know, basically trying to make their way home. Uh, They're at this like cornfield type deal. Their their vehicle won't start. And of course, they start getting picked off by this uh, this sacked head killer. Um, then we have another story about a girl who doesn't really get to see her boyfriend. And what is her boy? Is her boyfriend like an FBI agent or something? I think it was either that or like a like a federal. He, he was. He, I think he was fucking. He he was a big official, like agent type. Yeah, like he seemed. Yeah, he's he's some type of authority, and and they don't really explain it. But she only gets to see him every once in a while for some odd reason. And yeah, when they see each other, they can only see each other for like five minutes and shit. It, it's kind of strange, like how that story starts and ends, really. But anyways, it's about this girl that she's in her home alone, and she's kind of concerned that someone might be breaking in. You know, somebody actually ends up kind of doing that kind of thing. It's like a home invasion story, and kind of our main story, the one that really f- they focus on, the filmmaker focus on on the most, is it like another type of home invasion type story about this this uh, ginger girl <laughs> with big ears, with big ears. Yeah, this like kind of awkward looking ginger girl who's obsessed with Halloween, and you know, and which I do like the fact that like there is a really good Halloween aesthetic here like she's really really fucking into Halloween like you know she dresses up her yard with all these decorations and she's like totally in the spirit and shit like that and essentially she kind of gets home invaded by this dude that kind of befriends her and her friends and shit like that and or with you know his friends and you know shit goes down from there so yeah it's the most Halloweeny of the three stories <laughs> it's really kind of like if to me it feels like it's the only real Halloween one yeah the other like you maybe the cornfield because a lot of cornfields are in Halloween movies, but 
Well, I mean, I, in, in tr- and that, that is true. I mean, the killer in that one is like a sacked head kind of scarecrow. It's like a combination between a scarecrow killer and like sack egg Jason in a sense. Yeah. Like it, that's pretty much what it kind of looks like. There's really no originality to the, the look of the killer at all. Um, yeah. yeah I, th- I think Abby was the killer in the other one. <laughs> yeah. The one with the uh, the lonely girlfriend, yeah. Um, that is, yeah. see that okay. That's one of the one of the one of my main main issues with this movie. Besides, it's awful awful pacing. You know, you think with these kind of intertwined, um, you know, tales and stuff that they would be able to tell the story a little bit better. But you know, the the fucking weird thing about this anthology is that two of the three stories don't really even have great endings at all. They just kind of abruptly end where the filmmaker really did focus on the other story with the, with the ginger girl. And I just, I hated the whole, the whole construction of the film. I mean, it's not, it's not hard to follow by any means, but just the way it kind of cuts in and out and stuff. And it just, it leaves so much to be desired because the pacing is so off here. They explain things and, you know, in the cornfield story about this killer and things. And I'm, I'm talking like this movie has, atrocious atrocious pacing for a film that's intertwined you think it would just be non-stop kind of action right instead of like this nonsensical storytelling and bullshit like dude dude there's legit like in the scarecrow one like when the chubby ladies explain the story it's like fucking 20 minutes of fucking exclamation i'm like are you fucking serious the way they delivered her lines like yeah right scare she put a fucking scarecrow mask on and then I'm like, what the that, fuck? That's what I'm saying, man. Like, this thing starts out with, you know, the group of friends. There's, like, this lesbian couple, and there's this other couple, and, of course, their vehicle won't start, blah, blah, blah. But though, those scenes in the corner, like, it, everything takes so long to develop. Like, there's so many minutes of this guy, like, just arguing with his girlfriend about starting the vehicle. And then, and when the kills start happening, they're, like, off screen, which is fucking so disappointing. It's one of these kind of typical anthology films that you know had these ideas that just couldn't execute them properly due to um you know probably budget constraints and stuff so they had everything off screen and you know they just prolonged the narrative you know the stories within the stories and you know this thing runs about 105 104 105 minutes oh my fucking god so every story that is very minimalistic and very unoriginal you know, a typical slasher film and, and a typical, you know, kind of, you know, home invasion stories and stuff with twists. I mean, usually anthology, the stories always have kind of like twists and shit like that, which aren't even great. I mean, all these twists have been done before. That's another problem with this anthology. There's no originality whatsoever. Like, I mean, whatsoever in this. But, dude, they just execute the stories. They just fill in the time with nothing but fucking boringness. Every story is so damn boring. I mean, this thing could have been easily 40 minutes shorter. Like, there's just for, so much For filler. real, man. Like, even, like, when I was watching it, I, like, I messaged, like, there's still fucking 40 minutes left to this movie? Yeah. I thought it was almost over. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I know, man. If you're gonna, if you're gonna take the route of, you know, telling story and putting in that, you know, the narrative, and, and I will say, man, that's another thing that's really poor about this film that goes along with, you know, the storytelling is the dialogue dialogue is so bad in this movie every character just feels so wooden yeah you know, they and, just felt auto-toned like like they're just reading their lines off like a 
fucking napkin or something like it's horrible like right from the opening scene with you know the the vehicle and stuff like all those you're just like okay and then it cuts into the lonely girl and her boyfriend with the scene of them kind of meeting up for their five minutes and and it's like this love story and like she's like crying and it's all emotional but it's like the dialogue is really really painful and it goes on just way too long every scene is just way way too long and then the payoffs in these shorts are not great i mean the main story is okay for what it is. We've seen this many, many times. We've actually yeah. seen this type of twist even in a um, a Halloween sh- uh, movie that came out a couple years ago. Actually, there was two movies with the same title that came out a few years ago. And one of them actually has a full-blown storyline, a full-blown narrative uh, to where this one kind of goes with the twists and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And that that was a really good movie because, you know, there was a lot of tension and a lot of buildup and stuff. And... Uh, you know, th- this one's not too bad. I mean, at least there's a little bit of gore and, and things that are going on in this one. But uh, all in all, man, it just takes way too damn long to to do anything in this movie. Ugh, man. Like, like I thought they were going to end it like certain scenes. I'm like, and then this keeps fucking going. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I'm, I thought like one story was over, then it kept going. I'm like, what the fuck? Because there was like this, like a. I don't know which one, like a demonic presence was in there, and there's like a predator homage with a skull and a vertebrae, and I'm like, I thought that was the end of it. I'm like, nope, keep yeah, going. Yeah, dude, and the, uh, the well, the attempted killer in that short yeah, looks like, yeah, it looks like Abby's mask. Actually, you know what it reminded me? It reminded me of, uh, remember Spalding 6 9 from yeah, YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like the mask that he used to wear in his videos, man. It was like, I think it's the same fucking one to be honest it, it might be but yeah i caught that kind of predator thing too and but like i don't even know exactly what she was supposed to be yeah i didn't get it like it was so hard to focus on this movie dude I, i'll be honest well like i was i zoned out a few fucking times watching it we'll talk you know, i didn't yeah go ahead well that that's the interesting thing and the irony about this anthology is that you know they were trying to put a lot of excerpt into this you know they were trying to put a lot of um you know story and narrative but at the same time they completely didn't put anything into even that short you know they don't yeah. really explain anything they don't really explain exactly like who the boyfriend is or what exactly she is and what what the motive's like i guess the motive of the killer could be random and stuff but but like she kind of hints at the fact that like this is coming like it, it's almost like she was sucking in people to to do something or whatever like it just there's nothing to explain but it doesn't even matter you don't even need the explanation it's just it was just terrible and it just kind of fucking you know i mean it does have an ending to it but i mean as for you know the kind of slasher one and shit like that that one just kind of like abruptly ends like it's kind of lame it really doesn't go anywhere Um, after we get this really really long explanation like and that's the problem with these type of movies i mean i get it they're low budget and stuff but why do you need like a 10 minute explanation to the backstory and then just end your short i don't know like it's just bad storytelling it's really really poorly done um holy shit dude like give me a break man i like these like this guy who made this movie should take notice and watch a little low budget film called rise of the animals Mm -hmm. where it's like an hour long and you know it's this gets to the fucking point and it's a fun movie you know it has some uh, spotty cgi that film but you know for the type of humor that the film's going for it actually works for that film for benefit Mm -hmm. so you know it's fucking 
of hour long. You know, they didn't drag it out. They didn't try to explain shit. It's just a killer animal movie with fucking people getting picked off and like people. It's hilarious in that movie too, where they just pour uh, throw buckets of blood at people. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking great shit. Exactly. But I mean, yeah. you know, overall, man, I, the movie's not shot that poor i mean at least the effects that were used in this were uh you know practical i will give them that but uh you know just everything else man narrative you know acting um and just pacing you know slash editing you know i mean if you're gonna do a movie like this tighten it up man you know like like i said you know it it probably would have played itself out a lot different if you had played the shorts you know straight up Right, if you just yeah. did one, then two, then three, it still would have been a hundred and you know one hundred and four minutes of boringness. But the way it's done here, you're just expecting it to be a little bit more pacey. And oh man, it just comes off as being like one boring scene to the next boring scene. And you know, and and it makes you it makes you lose your focus even more with this type of style. I understand yeah. they're trying to do this style, but you may it, it takes you right out of it even more. And then by the time it's over, you're just like, holy fuck. Like, thank like even you. the editing is like fucking even worse than like trick, you know, like I, yeah. I had complaints with the editing and trick. This is way worse. Cause it was bam, bam. Yeah. You know, like fucking born scene, the fucking born scene, the fucking that scene that I've seen. I'm like, Oh my god! Yeah, like, actually, some of the editing actually in that opening scene with the the group of friends around the vehicle is really poorly done too. It's kind of choppy and stuff. It kind of just, you know, if if you watch it closely, you'll see just how poor the editing is done. You know, it just kind of goes from one shot to here, and it kind of jerks over here and stuff. I was like, oh my god, here we go, here we go. Like really, it's it's moments in filmmaking where you know the editing shouldn't be that bad. <laughs> it's the same scene, <laughs> different shots, but I don't know. Ugh. I don't oh, know. I, I really, I, I yeah, I don't have much more to say on this. There's stuff. just nothing redeemable about this. Like all three stories are shit that we've seen before. Two of them really just have poor, poor endings. Um, you know, the main story with the ginger was okay. You know, like I said, it's not original. We've seen it before and stuff. But you know, at least that actually had some, you know, suspense. I guess you would kind of it put had into good it. shots. Like I like. Uh, uh, the shots of her house outside with like a you know the orange light in it and you see like some fog going by it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that that was good. Why can't you do more shit like that? You know, <laughs> like, and you know, it it does give her a little bit of a story too to why she's doing like not to why she's doing this, but who she actually is and stuff. But yeah, but there is nonsensical shit even in that in that short because you know as she kind of breaks free and she's you know going after these people. I don't give a fuck about spoilers right now, but um. It's it's funny because if you if you're actually thinking about what you're watching, what the fuck are the other dudes doing while she's just like all of a sudden hunting them? I don't know because they're just fucking stupid. Like that one dude that makes yeah. that stupid joke. Oh, she's trembling like a tree in a hur- a leaf in a hurricane. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, that guy was the worst. See, I get it. I get it after they, you know, they come together after they fuck with her and stuff like that. They they want to go and find the money. That's fine. But they all disperse through the house, which she said that it's in one of the two rooms and they all go separate ways. But they never come back to check on her ever. Right. They never come back to check. And meanwhile, this is happening. She fucking, of course, breaks free. And then it turns out that, you know, she's fucking psychotic. And... But, like, what the fuck, dude? Like, it just kind of turns into this just out of that. And you're like, okay, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I 
I don't know either, man. Like, it was just stupid. Like, it was. It, it's really, really poorly done. They had an idea and they just didn't really execute it properly. But yeah. Um, but I mean, again, at least the effects were practical. So I'll, yeah. um, I'll give them that. But, uh, you know, as for as for like a whole product, man, this is actually one of the worst movies of the year I've seen. And I've seen a lot of movies this year, man. A lot of fucking movies. You, you know, uh, all the, uh, that poll on your fucking Facebook group. Oh. You know, I'm like, I'm, I just laughed because I watched some of this because I fell asleep watching it the first time I tried to watch this. <laughs> and I just fucking laughed. Like, these are bad movies? <laughs> Laughing? like. Well, some of the choices on there, man, were like 47 meters or the new, yeah, 47 meters down or whatever. And like three from hell and shit. I'm like, these are the worst movies of the year that you guys have seen. Like, you guys need to watch One Night in October because this shit is garbage. Like, straight yeah, we're up. recommending it to all those people that say that we like everything and that we don't we don't watch shit or we just like shit movies. That's not true because I'm probably going to be a little bit tad lower than moods here because. I fucking hated this fucking movie. Yeah, I hated this one too. I actually, because I had rated this thing last night and I had changed my rating actually. If you look at it, even changed it more than I thought about it. But man, this this shit is just like, it's it's a great example of a film that doesn't have any redeemable qualities. Like there's no reason to watch this whatsoever. No. Right? I mean, maybe if it was like 75 minutes, it, it might even be a little bit better. I mean, it's not going to change you know, the unoriginality of the stories and shit. We've all seen this bullshit before, but why you would ever make this shit 105 minutes is beyond me. It's three stories. And one of them takes up probably 70% of the time. It seems like yeah, it does. <laughs> so it's like totally uneven like that. It's just, it's just awkward, man. Like you find yourself literally falling asleep while watching this shit. It's just, Oh my God. Give me a fucking break. So. Oh, my God. Dude. Yeah, who needs NyQuil? Just fucking throw this fucking piece of shit on. Yeah, exactly, man. Oh, so, I mean, if you're looking to watch, I mean, nobody's really looking to watch shitty-ass movies, but give me a break. Three from Hell, worst movie of the year you've seen? Fuck. Someone even put Doctor Sleep. Like, you gotta be trolling with that shit, man. It, yeah, for real. I'd rather watch that a fucking... I'm, I'm buying that fucking Blu-ray when it comes out, and I'm <coughs> not even gonna be watching this shit ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, let's get into ratings because uh, I don't really have anything else to say about this at all. There's really, it's just bad. You so, want me to go first, buddy? Yeah, go ahead. It's a two out of ten for me. It's pretty fucking bad and tedious to watch. You know, some good shots, maybe some good practical gore, but the whole overall product, yeah, it just the two good things I got out of it don't make it fucking good you know fucking you know there's yeah you know there's nothing worse than watching an anthology film and as you're watching it you're thinking this is all paint by numbers like i've seen this shit before i know exactly what's going to happen i know where this is going and then realizing that you're watching a 105 minute film it just makes you want to slice your wrist with a rusty butter knife like it's so fucking painful like i mean i've had one of those years where i watch some really great films watching really bad ones and I don't know. It has nothing to do with watching a Halloween theme movie in, you know, around Christmas time. Because sometimes I kind of skewer your, your, you know, your mental capacity when you're watching shit. Like, you know, like you ever watch, you know, a Christmas movie like in the middle of the summer, and you're like, this just doesn't fucking feel right, and you're just not enjoying it or whatever. 
you know it happens sometimes it depends on where the movie's set yeah this wasn't really bothering me that at all because i have been watching christmas and i was like ah whatever fuck it just it didn't really even bother me but all in all man this one was just uh really really shitty and boring i hate to use the word you know boring you know that adjective but there's no real way to explain it away say it's the ambience of indie film (laughs) yeah it's just unoriginal boring also i'm at a two out of ten um i will give it up for you know you know the dude getting his face removed there was actually kind of a funny joke with that too they actually kind of made <laughs> yeah. me chuckle which said something about this guy being two-faced i was like wow <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a psychotic thing to say when you rip someone's face off but um but yeah one night in october just make it zero nights in october don't bother with this one yeah but we, we, if you, any of those guys that on that poll like i said we'll send you the link to this bad Larry. you can watch this one and so then maybe you could change your fucking opinion on some movies. Yeah, man. Like you got to be shitting me, right? Like it's just absolutely it's almost unacceptable to write some of those films as the worst films of the year. Like I mean, I get it too cuz like some people were trying to explain it in a way that they've seen that they only watch good movies, quote unquote. And I mean, that sounds like the most pretentious thing in the world to say that I only watch good movies. It's like it, it's I hate when people say I only watch good movies because how do you know that you're going to be watching a good movie before you watch it? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I, you I, need to take chances in life, too, and, and watch some of the low-budget things. And who knows, man? I mean, if 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 we were only watching, like, the mainstream, you know, higher-budget, you know, probably better-quality type films, you're never going to find those, you know, the you know the low-budget hidden gems and stuff that usually make up, at least mine and your list, almost every single year, you know? Fuck yeah, man. Like... Philosopher, fuck yeah, <laughs> philosopher, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, that, that's what it's all about, man. You just gotta. It's just crazy, man. It's crazy how many top ten lists I've seen come in and stuff, and the lists are just very, very paid by the numbers too. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it is what it is. That is going to conclude. I, I guess this is the the last bloody bits of the year, obviously. So. Yeah. I'm sure we will be back next year sometime. So until, yeah. until then, happy holidays from uh, the Toothless 2 here. <laughs> I don't know why I just said <laughs> The dudes. <laughs> the dudes. Yeah, it's the dudes. So, yeah, so have a happy Christmas and a safe new year. And um, we'll check you guys out in the new year. Merry Deuce. Christmas. Peace. Deuces. All right. Thank you guys for that review. I'm either guessing you really like the film or you really hated it, one or the other, because it's a long review. <laughs> so I'm sure there's a lot to talk about. So I'm, I'm guessing it's one extreme or the other. It's either pretty damn good or pretty shitty. So hopefully it was on the good side. But thanks again, fellas, for participating. Make sure you check out Moods on the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror and Derek B. from Cinema Attack. So make sure you check out the respective podcasts. Now moving on to the next review. It is called The Devil's Acid, and it is going to be reviewed by Mr. Donna Nelly from the Horror Mafia podcast. So take it away, sir. Hello, Bloody Bits listeners. I'm Donna Nelly, and today I'm here to talk about a new film called Devil's Acid. Now, uh, first of all, I'm not going to give a true release date because uh, looking this up, it seems that there's three or four different release dates. 
Um, IMDb gives us a original release of January 15th, 2018, so I'm not quite sure what it's doing here, uh, unless there's a uh, new VOD release, so I don't know where that January 15th date comes from, but um, eh, anyway, let's uh, get on with the review. Um, a drunk father is telling his son a bedtime story about a group of people spending the night at a haunted prison, where they all take devil's acid. They then start having problems differentiating between reality and the trip. Now, let me just say this. The 2.9 rating on IMDb is unbelievably accurate. This movie sucks ass. Um, about the only thing that really is worthwhile about this one is the atmosphere of the prison. It looks incredible. Um, it seems like a waste to let the setting go to waste in this kind of a film, but yeah, it looks creepy, it's really chilling, and a lot of the trip sequences here, um, I would imagine, may have more appeal to those that take drugs or other such recreational devices. But other than that, uh, this movie really, really sucks, and uh, there's three big flaws with that. The first is that this is really sold as a comedy. But nothing is funny, nothing really generates any kind of laugh. Uh, the entire film is... The main joke involves the fact that this little person is this misogynistic, racist, sexually charged deviant, and it's not funny. The Nothing about the other characters are ever really considered to be... made it to be jokes. There's nothing about this that really is any kind of fun. It's just aggravating watching people this stupid interact with each other. And the film just goes on and on and on with these lame jokes and stupid premises and it's just really, really aggravating to get through. So the second one is that every single time there's any attempt at generating suspense in this, there's a cutaway to the kids as the father's telling the story, because that's the general framework of the film, is that he's telling his kids a bedtime story. And every time something starts happening, they'll cut back to the kids questioning the dad about what's going on. And he gives a very, very, I would say, incredibly potent response to one of the questions. Shut the fuck up and let me tell the story. It'll, be, it'll all make sense when I get to the end. And that's exactly what they should do, is that it should stay on the story and let it play out until it gets to the end. Because every single time something starts happening, you cut back to the kid telling Dad, why the hell did that happen? What's going on? And it's like, just let him tell the fucking story, you little piece of shit. Uh, yeah, and then the uh, other one is that uh, the film's sense of horror relies almost solely on trip scenes where you're trying to figure out what, you know, is the place really haunted? Is this just a bad trip that they're on? Is something else going on that the trip is hiding and they've stumbled onto something far more deadly than they assumed? It's just almost impossible to tell what really is going on here. And by the end of this, you just won't care. Um, it looks competent for what it is, but that's just the main problem with this one. You just don't care. And frankly, I mean, you know, 
if you want to watch this to see what some of the tri the trip sequences look like because like I said, those are some of the best parts of the film, and I would imagine a person that would have more of a tolerance for drug culture or drug use would find this a much, much, or I wouldn't say much, but at least a little bit more tolerable than I did, because I still think they're going to have a lot of the same issues I had with it. But yeah, there's far better films out there than this. Um, it's all wasted potential. It's just not that good of a film and I can see why there's like five or six different release dates for this thing so um, other than you know maybe a film to boost your scores for your best of 2019 list to brag to your friends saying you know hey I've seen 50 films I've seen 60 films well fuck you all I've seen 80 films you know this would be one of them then I really don't see any point to this one so yeah this is definitely a skip it so uh, I guess I'll uh, get out of here then, because I don't have much else to say about this one. So, uh, thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. All right, thank you once again, Don, for another review. Thanks for participating. Make sure you check out Don's stuff on the Horror Mafia podcast. And he also does a lot of uh, writing reviews, too. So make sure I'm going to have, a, if I can remember here, I'll have a link to some of his reviews where you can find out his reviews, man, because he does a lot of written reviews, uh, kick-ass stuff here. So thanks, Don, for that. And now it's time to move on to the one and only Mr. Watson. And he's going to be reviewing a film that I absolutely fucking love. I have a feeling he's going to love it, too. And it is called Daniel Isn't Real, starring the one and only Patrick Schwarzenegger, Arnie's son. I saw this film actually at uh, South by Southwest here in Austin, the first time I ever attended uh, that festival. And uh, the film just blew me away, man. I just loved everything about it. I thought the story was awesome. The acting was on par. So, uh, yeah, man, I love it. It's one of my favorite films of the year for sure. Let's hope Mr. Watson felt the same, so take it away, sir. Greetings and salutations, my dear listeners of Bloody Bits. It is likely that up to this point in the show, you've heard film reviews from some rather capable podcasters who are most certainly deserving of my compliments. Having said this, it is now time to take a step upward and outside of the realm of the layperson and into the comfortable hands of one man who is nothing short of a veritable ordained minister in the art of film critique. You have heard from the apprentices, but it is now time to step into the world of the master. I present to you all, Mr. Watson of the Watsy Party Horror Show and Horror Corridor. Deliver them fucking goods Mr. Watson. Deliver that shit hard. Thank you very much, Jason, and thank you very much, Mr. British Robot, for that praiseful introduction. It's every bit as tasteful as it is accurate. Folks, you heard the robot. I'm Mr. Watson, one half of the Horphilia Podcasting Network's own flagship podcast, the Watsy Party Horror Show, as well as the solo practitioner of Horphilia's truly premier solo cast, Horror Corridor. Hear these words I'm slanging? Yeah, I'm legit. <laughs> I'm just messing around, everyone. I've been on Bloody Bits a million times my podcasting home, away from home as it were. always enjoy being a part of whatever VOD special Jason's got going on. Hell, I even remember back when the podcast was in full swing, and I'd just be a random guest long before he started doing these specials. Badass stuff for sure, my friends. So quick note, before I get started here, my partner in crime, the other half of the Watsy Party Horror Show, Dave Z, 
was set to join me for this review, but one of his other shows went longer than either of us had expected, so we missed our window of opportunity to do this together. Folks, I am saddened by this, but I promise that I won't let you all down with this review. And speaking to that, homies, you are in for a treat, because I'm here to bring you all a spoiler-free look at Adam Egypt Mortimer's adaptation of the 2009 novel, In This Way I Was Saved, and this adaptation goes by the name Daniel Isn't Real 2019. Before we dive into this, here's how I'll be conducting this review. I'll begin with a synopsis of the film, give you some quick film setup, and then I'll give you all my likes, dislikes, and finally, I'll conclude this business with my final thoughts and ratings of the film. Synopsis time? Oh, I don't mind if I do. Traumatized eight-year-old Luke invents an imaginary friend named Daniel, who leads them both into a world of fantasy and imagination. After Daniel tricks Luke into doing something terrible, Luke is forced to lock him away. Twelve years later, Luke brings Daniel back, who now appears as a charming, manipulative young man with a terrifying secret agenda. Alright, this film opens with our lead character Luke as a young boy, and the story wastes no time in showing us that this kid has a tumultuous home life. To escape this, Luke takes a walk alone out into the city and comes across a brutal-ass crime scene. Now here at this bloody place, he meets a kid his age named Daniel and the two become best friends. It doesn't take the film long for us to learn that nobody but Luke can see Daniel, but since this imaginary friend appears to serve as a genuinely positive change in troubled Luke's life, neither Luke nor his mom are necessarily phased by Daniel's presence. Well, this relative piece is short-lived because, as the synopsis I read states, after Daniel convinces Luke to do something awful to someone, Luke is able to banish him out of his life. Now, fast forward 12 years later, and here we meet a college-aged Luke who is juggling his studies while caring for his schizophrenic mother, and after a therapy session in which he's encouraged to face aspects of his traumatic past head-on, he resurrects Daniel, so to speak, who has grown just as Luke has, not just in appearance though, but also in power. From here, as Daniel helps Luke navigate through various social circles and helps him grow his confidence, we begin to find that Daniel is most certainly not all he appears to be. So that's gonna do it for film setup, it's time to get into likes. And my first like has to do with the performances our main actors deliver here. There are a number of lively side characters for sure, but Daniel Isn't Real is essentially a two-man show, alright? We've got Miles Robbins first off, the son of Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon, and Patrick Schwarzenegger, the son of the Terminator himself, and these two knock it out of the park. The relational dynamic here between Luke and Daniel brings to mind something like Fight Club 1999, and that takes a certain chemistry between these actors that I feel viewers will notice and appreciate. Robbins plays Luke wonderfully as this quiet young man with the world on his shoulders who fears the possible adult onset of the very same schizophrenia that's afflicted his mother. Dude's got abandonment issues as well that stem from his father leaving him and his mother at a young age, and so considering all this, you really believe Miles Robbins here as Luke. It's a sincere performance that really drives the film. And of course, it would be straight up remiss of my bitch ass not to praise Patrick Schwarzenegger for what he brings to the table. I already said Fight Club, but if you throw a little American Psycho into the mix, you can get a sense of the dark swagger that Schwarzenegger imbued this character with. Truly great stuff, folks. My next like has to do with the specific way the narrative progresses throughout the film. What we have on our hands here is a plot that plays by the rules of your recognizable descent into madness tale, right? But this film does some things that keep this story template fresh. First, this is not a slow burn film by any means. So by watching this, you're not entering into one of those art house films that seek to drive the viewer mad just as slowly as the characters in the movie. 
The pacing here is steady and strong. The narrative moves along from one point to the next, one revelation after another, so that you're intrigued at each stage of the show as to what is really happening here between Luke and Daniel, because as typical as the setup may well be, there are other things at work here that, in my estimation, elevate the film above and beyond these subgenre confines. In other words, the questions that you might have about Luke and Daniel's seemingly symbiotic relationship, these are clearly examined and answered, okay? And the way the film handles this facet of the narrative made me throw on a whole extra point for good measure. No joke, folks. The last like I'll talk about here is my biggest one, and it has everything to do with the way this film mixes together a blend of cold, stark humanity with things that are fantastical and metaphysical in nature. And it does this by examining certain topics. So these include the following five things. Number one, the devastating effects of mental illness particularly those things that might be hereditary in nature. Number two, the otherworldly nature of art and how it can tap into higher realms of existence. Number three, social pressure and the desire to fit in. Number four, the question of evil with a capital E and what that means from a spiritual standpoint. And then number five, the scary aspects of the subconscious, namely the id which, according to Sigmund Freud's theory of psychoanalysis, is the personality component made up of unconscious psychic energy that works to satisfy basic urges, needs, and desires, right? The id is all about the pleasure principle, which demands immediate gratification of needs. Does that sound familiar? Sound like something we've been seeing here? So these things I've mentioned might all seem like separate points of discussion, but they're all bound together by the idea that each and all of these things force us to look deeper into ourselves to see what lies beneath. These are all facets of the human condition that have the power to urge us to face our figurative and quite literal inner demons that lie in the darkness of our hearts and minds so that we can bring them into the light, and hopefully, that's a battle that each of us can win in the end. Regarding dislikes, I have something that's nothing really much more than a nitpick, but I feel like certain viewers may well notice this, so I'll just, I'll just mention this bad boy. It's possible that certain decisions made here in the special effects department might put some people off. These visuals can be rather alarming and might rub some people the wrong way. I've heard this complaint. I don't necessarily agree, but I can't discount that it is jarring and it is legitimate as far as a potential dislike goes. And that's really all I've got. So getting into my final thoughts and my rating. If you've ever dealt personally with any form of pervasive mental illness, it can often feel like you don't belong to yourself. It can feel like strong oppression or even outright possession at times. And these feelings raise the question, can I win this fight? Will I ever be myself again? At the heart of this movie is a story of a very real loss of agency and a battle for identity. Whether these things are put in terms of mental illness, spirituality, or mere social standing with peers, it's all authentic and sincere. My friends, I'm in the ballpark of an 8.5 to a 9 out of 10 on this bad boy, and I declare this to be the best film I've ever reviewed on Bloody Bits. Folks, that's Daniel Isn't Real, 2019. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to this review, and I'd like to thank Jason for including me on this Christmas time VOD special. I have, listen, I have no idea where Jason has me placed in the order of podcasters here on this episode. Hopefully last, because, I mean, who the hell's gonna follow what you just heard, right? <laughs> for real, I'm just joking. This is a show full of amazing podcasters, and you're in great hands with all of them, so Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and back to you, Jason. All right, thank you, Mr. Watson, for that review. And if you never heard of his uh, podcast, shame on you. 
He is uh, one half of the Watsy Horror Party Show, and he also has a solo podcast. I say solo, he also has a son as a guest host on some, and that is on Horror Corridor. And both these podcasts you can find here on the Horrorphilia Network, so we'll have links to that in the show notes. So thank you, Mr. Watson, for participating. And now it's time for another Christmas song. And I picked this song in particular to put it at this specific part, because I know Mr. Watson is a huge fan of this band. I am too. I actually used to be pretty big in a pop punk when it first came out. My roommate was a fanatic, and we basically had kind of like a little side band we did. And (laughs) I was the guitarist. He was the bassist and singer. We never really got off the ground, though, because we never could find a regular drummer. But anyway, we used to play pop-punk songs, and our favorite uh, pop-punk band is, no, not Blink-182, not Green Day, but it's MXPX. And they have a killer Christmas song called Christmas Day. So check it out. Christmas. There's something about the way you care. There's something about the way you care. Little bit of love. 
hope you enjoyed that song. If you're still a fan of pop punk, I know it's uh, like ska. It's pretty played out nowadays. Some people don't like it at all. But if you're still into uh, the occasional pop punk, I do highly recommend checking out MXPX. And they have a whole Christmas album, not besides that song here. They have tons of, and that song, that uh, album is actually pretty killer. And I hope you enjoyed that. So now it's time to move on to, oh, it's my reviews. All right, it's my turn here. So I have two films I'm going to review. So let me pull up my notes really quick. All right, and these are going to be fairly quick, uh, minor spoiler-filled reviews. I uh, always get asked two questions when podcasters agree to participate. Number one is how long should the review be? And number two, should it contain spoilers or not? Um, now, what I always say generally is the length of the review should definitely be whatever is best for the review. Some films deserve breaking down certain scenes, get perspective from multiple co-hosts. Some films, like the two I'm going to be reviewing, or what you see is what you get. You know, nothing too original, no underlying subtext or themes or metaphors. <laughs> nothing like that. So films like that, man, just... And especially ones you don't recommend, I say, I say spoil the hell out of it. Um, so if it's a good film that you think you will end up recommending, don't, you know, I recommend don't really spoil anything, especially if there's a big twist. But if it is a terrible film, you know, if very little people or anyone's going to ever watch it then go ahead and have fun tearing this bitch apart uh as long as you get spoiler warnings in review that's that's all i that's all i ask here i i generally prefer that for any podcast in general if you're going to give if you're going to do spoilers make sure you just give a warning other than that just go for whatever you feel like though so both of my films though are very shallow so i'm not going to recommend either one of them i'll tell you up front uh, but you know, let's see if I hated them or not though. All right. So the first one, film I'm going to review is called American hunt and it's available from high octane pictures. And here's a brief synopsis here. Two brothers, Memphis and Levi, they take a group of friends on a hunting trip. The friends soon realize they're the game. So the movie starts off with two brothers. Uh, they're chasing a girl through the woods. She ends up hiding in this barn. Uh, she jumps out and hits the young her brother in the head at the pipe ranch and starts to run away. Before the uh, the brother, the younger brother, he's wearing this pretty cool looking monkey mask. Before he can shoot her with his shotgun, the older brother shoots her with his hunting rifle, and then the older brother declares he's the winner of the game, three to one. So you know right off the bat what you're getting into. It's a survival horror with two brothers uh, playing a game against each other, trying to kill different people. So that was the opening credits of the film, pretty much, man. And then immediately after that, they don't fuck around and go straight to the action. Levi, the older brother here, he has a group of his friends. He has his girlfriend, Brooke, and another couple, Owen and Kimberly. He takes them out to his ranch. He tells them they're going to go deer hunting. So they camp out that night. And the next morning, Levi and his younger brother, Memphis, they reveal to them that they are going to be the hunted. Uh, they're going to give them a 15-minute head start. And bam, the movie starts. So this shit is within 10 minutes. <laughs> you got this going here. So the uh, Levi's girlfriend, off camera, you see her run into a barbed wire fence, ends up cutting up her neck. So they're trapped in this woods by either sharp uh, barbed wire, like a razor blade barbed wire, or it's an electrical fence or both. So spoiler, after out of the 300 here, the girlfriend gets dispatched pretty damn early in the film. So that leaves, the majority of the film is going to be the other couple, Owen and Kimberly, running from the enemies. 
Now, I'm not sure if this was genius writing or just lazy writing, but the Owen character, he does something I've never seen anyone do in a film. He actually ends up getting his hand caught in a bear trap <laughs> instead of his foot. So he's pinned to the ground and they split up. His girlfriend has to go back to find a first aid kit and come back and help him. Uh, once she's gone, though, Owen gets taken out. So early on in the film, you have two of the three of the hunted uh, killed. So you know the majority of the film is going to be this remaining girl is going to be hunted down by these guys here. And that's basically it. So that's all I'm going to spoil. That's basically the setup of the film. All right, so talk about the positives of the films. I thought the older brother, uh, Levi, I thought his acting was pretty decent. He was sufficiently sinister. Uh, the, the chimpanzee uh, mask of the younger brother, I thought that was actually pretty cool. And the finale twist was decent, even though the film didn't really earn it. Uh, I think a better acted and a bigger budgeted film could have earned that ending. Uh, but that's the positive of the film here. So the bad repetitive in parts the girl manages to escape she gets caught she ends up finding a preacher neighbor but the preacher neighbor thinks the boys are running a substance addiction camp and he believes she's a junkie that's escaped and he brings her back to them instead of believing that she's uh, being hunted down by the boys and calling the police he ends up bringing her back to the camp how anyone could be convinced these two young boys are running this addiction camp is beyond me uh, the pretty much main set of the film is this one barn and a cheapy remade movable sign that says that it's an addiction business. So how that preacher believe this is a legitimate business is beyond me. Uh, <laughs> a very poor way of the writers to conveniently weave in the preacher neighbor. Uh, there is some uh, uh, practical gore, but of course it's enhanced of terrible CGI blood and blood splatter. And the film ended fairly predictable with, uh, like I said, a decent twist moment. That twist ending actually earns my pure ne neutral rating. And what I mean by that, I do a uh, rating on a scale of 1 through 10. I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10, uh, meaning I didn't like it, I didn't hate it. I wasn't pissed that I saw the film. But I really can't recommend it to anyone either. So it's just a flat 5 out of 10. It's a film I would never watch again though. So I'm not going to recommend it. Alright, so that was my first movie. Now the second one is a film called Crypsis. And it is available from Uncorked. And here's the synopsis here. A group of friends make a bet to survive on an island. Unbeknownst to them, a mysterious old creature begins hunting them throughout the night. What begins as an innocent bet quickly turns into a fight of survival. As night falls, this becomes a fight to the death that no one had anticipated. Alright, so the film starts off with this girl. She's getting tracked down by this monster in the woods. And then it quickly turns into a montage TV show type intro and voiceover. Very, very strange, very weird for a movie for sure. Like I said, it definitely felt like a montage of a TV show. Uh, I kind of liked it though. I thought it was actually pretty decent here. So we get into the main uh, meat of the film. It starts off with a bunch of douchey bros. They all meet up at a restaurant and they decide to play a game. They're going to go to this island and I think it's like a scavenger hunt type of shit. I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're supposed to, uh, each team has a video camera and they're supposed to video camera different stuff and whoever gets the best footage or most footage or whatever ends up winning. Uh, very unclear what's exactly to be done. They end up splitting up into two teams, uh, three guys on one side and this buff dude, which ends up kind of being our main character. He's a survival expert. He's on one side and he also has 
a uh, unathletic fat dude <laughs> that's with them here. Uh, so that's one team, and it's three normal guys on the other team. What? And then two other normal guys and a virgin guy that you keep making, making fun of on the other team. So the film starts off, one group, uh, I'm assuming, uh, meets the monster immediately, and they end up getting split up. One dude goes missing. The virgin dude ends up crawling up a tree. And the final guy, he ends up finding the other two, uh, the other group of guys. In the film, man, it just rinse and repeat here. They end up hearing the monster coming. The guys end up hiding behind trees under rocks. Uh, the two alpha male guys end up fighting against each other. Everyone argues throughout the film, hates each other. There are some found footage moments uh, where they end up finding the lair of those monsters. And these deal holes decide to go into the cave to get footage of it. Uh, when they end up going to the, the cave, they end up finding old camera skulls and they get scared and run away. And then you got one of the most idiotic moments of the film. They had to find a way for one of the guys to be injured. So what they decided to do is, Alex like said, early on in the film, the virgin guy gets scared and he climbs up to uh, the top of a tree here. And he has no way of getting down. He's scared to get down. So one of the guys, the alpha male dudes, decides to climb up to help uh, bring him down. But he slips out of the tree, falls and breaks his ankle. Uh, when he's laying on the ground uh, in pain, immediately the virgin guy ends up jumping down like it's no big deal <laughs> to help the guy. Just an absolutely ridiculous story, right? And it had me, it had me laughing because it was such a shitty story decision they decided to go with. <laughs> then finally, the guys decide uh, they can't escape this monster, so they need to make a raft to escape. And then you have one more night of running from the monster. That's pretty much this, the story of the film. The good. I thought the soundtrack of the movie was pretty decent. Uh, it's pretty professional sounding. The creature design itself was decent. What it looked like, uh, if I could best describe it, it kind of looks like one of the creatures from the Descent movies mixed with some type of evil elf. <laughs> if you can imagine that, that's what they kind of look like, that monster kind of looked like. Uh, and there is one decent scene at night when it's being chased by the creature the way it's filmed. I thought that was uh, pretty decent. That was the good of the film. Now, the bad is pretty much everything else. Very uninteresting characters, bad acting, terrible dialogue, predictable behaviors, poor writing. There is a kind of reveal at the end. It's a flashback uh, moment where they play the beginning of the film when you find out how these guys end up splitting up. It's supposed to be like this big aha moment, but to me it was lame as fuck. It didn't add to the story at all. Man, what am I going to give this film? I wrestled with it. Like I said, there are a few positives, but overall I definitely can't recommend it. So I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10, and that's as high as I can go. But if either film sounds cool to you, I will have links to both of them here in the show notes. Alright, so now that was my review, so now it's going to move on to a two last reviews here. The next review is going to be from uh, Philip uh, Perrin again from the Dark Discussions podcast. It's his second review, and he's got a film called Door in the Woods. Hello, this is co-host Philip of the Dark Discussions podcast to review one of two films for this special edition of Bloody Blitz Christmas episode. Uh, this film that I'm going to talk about right now is from Wild Eye Releasing, and it is called Door in the Woods. A pretty cool title. Um, and so you hope it's somewhat promising. I do have a blurb that Jason gave me of what the film is about and so forth. So uh, here it is. It's called, uh, once again, Door in the Woods. 
Billy Chase Gorforth's atmospheric horror thriller Door in the Woods premieres on digital and DVD October 29th from Wild Eye Releasing. A family is haunted by a group of evil spirits that they accidentally release after finding a mysterious gateway during a hike. They turn to a shaman who must help them save their child and send the entities back to the spirit world forever. John Michael Fisher, Catherine Forbes, and Lauren Harper star in a film written and directed by Billy Chase Goforth. All right, so this film is uh, available now uh, pretty much anywhere. VOD can be found as well as uh, DVD, as I said. Uh, the price is fairly cheap wherever DVDs are found. Um, the film uh, is actually the better acted of the two films I am reviewing, but it is most certainly the, the lesser film of the two films I'm reviewing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the story uh, made me roll my eyes a number of times, uh, but I will say this first. Uh, all the actors are uh, excellent. They really do perform uh, realistically uh, for what they have. Uh, the roles uh, by the lead woman and man are, are really strong, and our other two characters of note in the film are really strong as well. Uh, unfortunately, the plot is kind of bizarre. Uh, basically, we have this uh, couple that lives in this town, and they are a little bit down on, uh, I guess, money at the moment so they make a deal with this local school private school to do uh, work for them uh, the husband is a kind of a carpenter plumber and uh, he agrees to do a bunch of work for the school uh, for free tuition for their child uh, the school is basically for children who are, have some behavioral health issues, and so they really wanted to get their child into this school. Uh, what happens from there is as they take a jaunt into the woods, typical family event of walking uh, through the local town forest or whatnot, they come upon a door in the woods. Uh, it's standing up straight, and it just happens to be there. It's kind of bizarre. And the thing that makes me really roll my eyes that's very bizarre is that this woman decides that she wants this door so she can bring it to the house and use it to, I guess, turn a opened closet into a closed closet. So they have a door on the closet. Um, I've, I felt it was kind of weird because here's this door. Who knows how long it's been out there. It could be rotted, whatever. And if you really do need a cheap door, you can go to any Lowe's or Home Depot and find one for really inexpensive. Um, so why not save a couple of bucks a month for a door rather than get a cruddy, rotten door that could even have like copper ants living in it uh, brought back to the house? So right there, um, I was very, very uh, much uh, taken aback by the story. Um, however, that's that's the main point of the story. Basically, this door opens to another dimension that brings back evil things. And and the thing is, is that there's a backstory about where the door came from and how this entity exists and so forth. But again, it was really um, just a cheesy way to get the door to be 
uh, a gateway. Um, so I, I felt it was very weak. Um, and unfortunately, the second half of the film is really just a 45-minute um, ritual. So if you're into these exorcism-type films where we have uh, people um, trying to get rid of evils from a place or trying to bring someone back from another dimension or whatever, you know, we've seen this in Amityville Horror and uh, the Poltergeist films and, and, you know, and so on and so forth, the Exorcist, the Conjuring and so forth. Uh, this kind of cribs from all those films, um, and unfortunately, uh, 45 minutes of that can kind of strain my attention and kind of bore me a bit. Um, so I, I wouldn't really recommend this film unless you're a true fan of exorcism-type films. Uh, because if you are a fan of exorcism-type films, this, this may interest you. Uh, but for me, that those films are one of my lesser uh genre f films or subgenres in horror that because we've seen so many of them and also uh, the whole premise of finding a door probably infested with carpenter ants and bring it into your house and then refinish it and put it up just kind of seems silly uh, so that's my review of this film here um, out of the two once again I would recommend Mala May which is the other film I um, reviewed for this episode and you'll hear it or already have depending on how Jason orders these recordings, but uh, all in all, once again, you can find this film pretty much anywhere, Door in the Woods. Back to Jason Lloyd. All right, thank you, Phil, once again for another review, and if you like the sound of Phil's soothing uh, northern accent, make sure you check out his podcast, The Dark Discussions, podcast at darkdiscussions.com. Thanks, Phil, once again for participating. He's a, a regular on the podcast for sure. So uh, thank you, sir, for that. And then here's the last but not least, the final review of the night. It is by Mr. Christian Luciani from the Floating Heads Horror Podcast. And he has a mystery guest, Justin D. And they're taking on a film called The Eleventh Patient. Well, hi, everybody. It's Christian here from TJF13 and, of course, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast. I'm back on Bloody Bits. But today, I come with a guest. This guest does need an introduction because although he's on social media, he's shrouded in mystery. We call him Justin D. That's right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Nothing more. Nothing more. I've been talking to this guy for almost two years. I don't even know what he looks like. <laughs> Could look like Jason after he pops out of the lake in part one. I don't I know. Sure, I hope not. <laughs> Justin, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. Is this your is this your podcast debut? No, it's not. Okay, so do you want to get into that? Do you want to talk about what you've been on before, or is no, that I don't. a mystery? Okay, that's a mystery too. A man of total mystery. <laughs> All right. Well, our film was the Eleventh Patient. It was distributed distributed by Uncorked Entertainment. It was uh, directed by Derek Cole. Written by Derek Cole and Stephen Cole, I think starring them as well, and it also had um, the doctor and the mom. There's like literally four people in this movie. This is minimalist filmmaking, but I yes. will say, I'm a, I don't want to say at its finest because that's maybe giving it too much praise. But I was damn surprised at how good this movie looked. You know, this movie had a four thousand dollar budget. Yeah, I just found that out. Yeah, four thousand dollars. The lighting and editing. 
are great in this film. I agree. I think the the technical aspects, the directing and the cinematography are fantastic, regardless of the budget. I didn't know the budget until after I did my review. And I thought it was fantastic as far as the mood. I mean, from the opening shot, it was great. And when the light was casting through the the slats of the oh, wood, amazing. it was fantastic. Yeah, though, th- these guys... I don't know if that's what they study, but that this is where the movie shines. The sound design, I'll even say, is great, too, because that could sink a low-budget movie. And I think a lot of this must have been ADR'd, meaning they probably mm. filmed it and just killed the soundtrack and recreated it. So it's minimalist, but it mm-hmm. works. Uh, the music does get a little repetitive. Uh, how I... Just to, to get, paint a picture of how this movie works, the movie's only an hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And only four lines of dialogue are spoken in the first hour. Yeah. Do you know what the first line of dialogue was? No. What, what was it? <laughs> it was that guy at the beginning. Kids. Oh. You're, you're the four lines. Kids. And then he says, come on. Come on. Come on. So I guess that's three lines, but I, I, I counted it as one. <laughs> and then he says, home. And then that old <laughs> creepy lady says, shh. And that's it. That's what we get for the first hour. I thought that was crazy. So where I'm going with that is that I was all in. I was like, wow, this movie's really winning me over. I have no clue what's going on. And I was in until about the 40 minute mark. That's when I started getting a little antsy. Then I'm like, what's going on here? So then I read the description again. And so I didn't even set this movie up. And though this would be a perfect time for me to read the description of the movie. Because if you don't read the description, you will not know what's happening in this film until they explain it in the exposition filled dialogue scene after the hour mark but so here we go Stephen, a young teenage boy is found in a comatose state deep in the woods several months after his kidnapping the man that kidnapped him is still at large and Stephen is the only person who witnessed and survived the ordeal now Stephen has been brought to a doctor who specializes in ptsd patients Using his technology to guide his patients through the traumatic event, he must connect to Stephen and make him face his fears in order to bring him out of his coma. Great. But you do not know what the fuck's happening because it's all set up with no explanation whatsoever. Some may think that that's the intriguing aspect of it. I thought maybe if they reshuffled this movie a little bit and started with the exposition scene to lead us into it, it would have worked beautifully. Where there's more ur- urgency with the main character, with the kid, or where uh, the doctors are trying to keep track if he's being chased within the subconscious state, that type of thing. With you, where, where the kid is being chased to the subconscious state and the doctors are um, race against time type of thing. But, you know, maybe that's a different movie. Well, maybe. I mean, they, they presented it in, in the way they wanted to, obviously. This is their, their project and whatnot. But when I when I was done with it all, I said, well, maybe if they had the mom and him introduced at the beginning, you know, I, I guess that would have been more traditional in a sense. So this kid's found. But you don't know this kid is found because what we start the movie with is this guy walks into this building. So there's yeah. very it's very long. But the, what they've got going for them is mood. So you're intrigued, even though it's very longly drawn out scenes here. This guy's flashing a flashlight into the camera, looking around, sees something crazy, says kids, notices that these two hands are handcuffed to a pipe. Yep. Well, he then they runs and the opening credits uh, come on. So what he f- says, he's found this kid and he went to get help. But if this movie had a little bit more of a budget, maybe a, 
a little bit more production to elevate it to the next level. $4,000, I commend them. But if they just had a little bit more, the next scene would have been a slam cut to maybe cop cars or or, yeah. or, or whatnot, emergency vehicles outside, just saying, we found them, and, and him getting wheeled in. And then an establishing shot of his mom with, with the doctor, and the doctor's using some sort of technology that reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw 2000, Jennifer uh, Lopez, The Cell. I saw part of it, yeah. Okay, so it kind of reminds me of that, where he's going into their mindset. Now, obviously, at a very low budget. Like, the doctor's office, guys, is literally a plastic sheet hung up. That was the one thing I said, well, they really cheapened out here. Couldn't they have maybe sprung for an office? And they had, like, dishcloths on their head or something. I couldn't figure it out, (laughs) you know? Or, or like, rubber stoppers for a sink. They, They got all the camera moves and lighting things down perfectly, but the guy's putting on, like, a... I don't know what what it was, something for a kitchen, (laughs) you know. A tea towel, you're right. (laughs) But going back to the cop car thing, even if they couldn't afford a bunch of cop cars, all they had to do was get a bunch of lights. Exactly. Flash flash them red against the the building to create the illusion of a bunch of cars or ambulances or whatever. Because they've managed to get the lighting down. uh, And it literally is that opening scene credits and then this kid is wandering around for an hour for that maze yeah that weird, but it's yeah. but it's somewhat somehow very intriguing i still can't get yeah. over i still think it was like maybe a short film that they just stretched to make it an 80 hour a minute movie maybe they added uh another element like that midsection with that jason voorhees-esque guy that looks like Jason oh, with the burlap sack and, yeah and, and, but that nice. was cool yeah I like there were three yeah. effective scares I jumped I actually three effective jump scenes that worked for me in this yeah. movie so it, it was it was intriguing but some people may put this on and go what are you guys talking about it's literally this kid walking around but the way they managed to manage to keep your interest of this kid walking around that that's movie magic right there and that's through lighting, editing, and the, the tense music. Now, did you notice through, I don't remember what part, it was later on in the movie, where they kept repeating the same shots over and over, obviously for effect, but I think it was the shot of the guy in the silver mask. Uh, yeah. Kept, they just kept repeating the same shot over and over. It's almost like a brain fart or something like that. Like it was something like triggering. I guess he was trying to see if he could see his face because this yeah. guy does wear a chrome mask. Right, but they just kept repeating shots after shots. You know, I mean, obviously it was for effect, but it just yeah, padding the it time. Was, it's padding the time. It was kind of needless. Maybe so, once or twice, but I don't well, know. we and we do get the full explanation, like I said, at the hour mark of what's going on. So uh, you you, you kind of know the doctors are to help them, and, and it's all in that synopsis. The synopsis explains the movie, but yeah. if you didn't have that synopsis, you'd be like scratching your head wondering what is going on here and are we going to get to another level uh it it does explain everything but i won't say it's definitely the most effective i I find the first 40 minutes are great the second 40 minutes are all right are passable but i mean the lighting and, and and all that technical aspect as we've already said remains consistent throughout oh absolutely yeah it's perfect i mean i believe there's a shot of when one of the apparitions or formations of the creatures, the, the hands come out through the water. Oh, 
Yeah. That, that was that was really good. Yeah, the monster design again, simplistic but effective. Yeah. Again, what they were able to achieve on a small budget, I was uh, kudos to them. Uh, look forward to seeing what they could do next. I mean, this is not a uh, yeah. slam dunk by any means, but no. just again, how they were able to keep interest for what they were presenting, and uh, although I, I do say it was stretched out a little bit, and uh, I, I could have had more of an explanation at the beginning as opposed to after an hour of watching uh these are these are my nitpicks of of what we experienced but yeah last thing i wrote on my notes was i'll be interested in seeing what the future projects from him will be because obviously he has the uh visual storytelling down it's just like what you said 40 minutes before we get any explanation and it's not i don't think it's supposed to be set up like some type of art house type of film where it would allow for that. No, they could you know? easily put that doctor scene at the beginning and I don't yeah. think it would have affected anything. In fact, maybe it would have set it up better uh, yeah. so that you weren't, I, I wasn't being like sort of withdrawing at that 40 minute mark. Uh, yeah. But there's still enough stuff going because once you see the first monster, which was rather creepy in that whole maze and the effects of the maze being torn apart uh, were, were really well done. Uh, and the lighting that they achieved in that maze, as you, if we keep reiterating, was was great. Then he meets that Jason Voorhees-looking motherfucker, and that's really creepy and effective. And that whole sequence of him having to go through that whole barn area with the, the cans hanging and dangling, and obviously yeah. the killer's got no eyes here, but he, he has a cute sound or, or hearing, and so any noise he makes, uh, the killer's right after him. So very effective. Uh, it, it just I think it's when he starts to go home and whatever that's where I, I, I feel like okay I could have had this sp- speed up a little bit uh, just yeah. for enjoyment's factor um, there was a line like the doctor does mention he goes well we are in my garage of my lab like ah. almost as an offshoot as if to explain the shoddy the, the shoddy set uh, so I again they worked it into the script so I'll accept it but I just thought you know even for no budget, you probably could have gotten some sort of office building for that one scene. Or not even an office, but just make stuff out of models or something to put on their heads. Make something cool like an existence. So not, not make, tea towels make, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, make something <laughs> cool and weird to put on their heads. I don't know. Just think of something out of the box. But, yeah, but set it in a barn. That's cool, too. Yeah, oh, it was that, it was such a good sequence. Uh, one of the other, the only other negatives I could take away is if you do go to IMDb and look at the cover art, it's not a yeah. good representation of the movie. I th- I think it does cheapen the film a little bit. I mean, they're trying to showcase a sponsor that's a very small portion of the movie, and and I think it looks really cheap. That's probably uncorked trying to make it marketable. Yeah, but it doesn't really serve the movie well at all. The one mask I didn't like. It looked like a that totally silver one. It looked like um. Uh, what's that movie? Oh, Chrome, uh, Chrome Face. Yeah, Chrome Skull. Chrome, Chrome Skull. skull. Chrome yeah, face. I didn't. Chrome Face. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Laid to but rest. Yeah. Yeah, laid to rest. Yeah. There's one poster. I just clicked on it. The idea is there. It shows somebody in a bed, in a coma, but it's overtaken by this glowing skull or glowing yeah, silver face. That's the face one. one, and that's the one. I'm just. It's too much. They could have had him maybe in the more in the background. Yeah, because uh, it was an element but, of it, but it would look maybe too much like uh, Nancy and Nightmare on Elm Street then. Yeah, or Patrick or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, good, but, good comparison. Yeah. What I don't know if you're done with your notes. I just wanted. To, I feel like we should wrap this up. This is bloody bits. We got to keep things moving. So, okay. Uh, out of ten, what would you rate the film? Five. 
I'll give it a five. Oh, wow. You're a, you're a more harsh raider than I am. I really appreciate what they did here. Again, first 40 minutes, solid. Second 40 minutes, not as much. So I will give them a six. I was leaning towards a 6.5, but I think that may be too lenient. But guys, you've got the technical aspect down. I was very intrigued. Derek Cole, can't wait to see what you guys do next. So uh, I agree. The technical, the opening shot is my favorite shot with the, the guy tracking through the place with the flashlight and just the lighting and the camera work it's fantastic and i really can't wait to see what you do next great well hey uh thanks thanks for listening to this review justin thanks for joining me i I really appreciate it i think this makes it easier because i i I don't really like doing solo casts i i find it strange i don't like to do i don't like to hear your solo cast (laughs) bad up boom on that (laughs) note we'll pass it back to you jason all right. Thank you, Christian, once again, and Mr. Guest, Justin D. I'm sure you did a kick-ass uh, job on the review. So thanks once again for participating, Christian. And maybe Justin D will end up being on a future episode here. So <laughs> make sure you check out Christian's podcast uh, once again in the show notes. And that's it. That's all we got for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the Christmas music. Uh, remember, he is the reason for the season. So thank you once again to all the podcasters that participated. Make sure you check out the respective podcasts and check the show notes for any of these movies if they sound cool. I know you definitely need to check out Daniel Isn't Real for sure. All right, so that's all I got. So to wrap it up, I'm going to play one last song. It's a parody, a Rob Zombie parody song. I thought it was kind of funny, so hopefully you will too. Until next time, peace. Let's go.